Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste are very good friends. Hello. Hi. Can you can you edit in like a little huggy kissy effect? We can just do it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting. Everybody calls me Bips. My name is Whitney Seibold. They call me The Viper. Have you come to Viper Windows? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I learned that joke in the third grade. I learned that from G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah? It was a G.I. Joe joke? They did, they, they did it on G.I. Joe once where there was like a mysterious villain coming to destroy them called the Viper. I am the Viper. Mm. I come for you at noon. And they were all like sitting in the middle of the road with their tanks and everything ready to destroy this Viper guy. And it's just a guy with like a bucket and a squeegee. It's mm. like, I'm the Viper. I've come to Viper Windows. And they're like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the uh you know the writer's room is running really low on whiskey. Yeah. They just screw it. We'll just do the comedy episode. You see kids in today's episode we thought we uh we were going to fight a guy <laughs> named the Viper. This is why it's important to always double check in someone's spelling when you learn their new name. Mm-hmm. Remember, learning a new name is learning how to be a good friend. And learning is half the battle. Or no, it was always, well, now I know. And knowing knowing is half half the battle. The other half is horrible, gratuitous violence. (laughs) It's okay, because they're blue lasers. (laughs) Yeah, burn a hole right through your torso. Still horrendously violent. This is not a G.I. Joe podcast, although I'm sure that exists somewhere in the world. Sure, someone wants us to do that. Like, we'll do every episode of G.I. Joe. God help us. Oh, dear Lord. Um... No, this is a film review podcast, and uh, as new films have been released, we're here to review them. William, what are we reviewing this week? Well, we're reviewing the new theatrical releases, Gretel and Hansel, and the rhythm section. But more than that, and maybe even more exciting than that, Mm -hmm. we're reviewing every single one of the Oscar-nominated short films this year. That's 15 extra movies for you. And it's actually a few more than that, because they added a bunch of cartoons Mm. to the program. Uh, because the cartoons are very, very short. Yeah, t- the, and that, that's pretty typical. Yeah. When you go to... If you are lucky enough to live in one of the cities or marketplaces where they theatrically release the shorts... And uh, if the, you don't know if you are, uh, check out... I think it's Shorts TV is short, the website. Yeah, short, shorts TV. Check it out. Make sh- If it's playing in your in your area, it's always a really exciting watch. It's packed full of different mm-hmm. voices from different countries and um, different kinds of stories. And they're just they're, they're very eclectic, and it's a really great watch every year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, usually the Oscar nominated short films don't fill an entire you know ninety minute program, so they have to pad it out with a few other films that were eligible or just films that they got the rights to that they yeah. kind of pad out the program with. Um, the most disappointing years are when those padding shorts end up being way more interesting than any of the nominees. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I think the nominees in the animated uh, segment are actually really, really good. Very strong overall. Uh, the typical uh, reaction that you and I have had to these short films over the years has been one of utter despair. No! Uh, Why is it so sad? (laughs) Especially the documentary shorts, because the subjects that tend to get awarded in these categories are really topical and really uh, raw and really sort of gut-punchy. They choose something that is actually really, really difficult to look at. Typically, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot... With the documentaries and with the live-action shorts, there's a lot of children in peril, like some children in some sort of dangerous scenario. They don't have a lot of time, Uh, so they're trying to make the maximum impact, so they're not going to... They're not going to... um, they're not going to tiptoe around the issue. They're going to just hit you real, yeah. real hard. 
There's a lot of films about uh, disease. Uh, uh, there was one year where there were two separate films about end of life care. That one murdered me. Uh, yeah, that was that. That's a button for me mm. because of my experience with my dad, and that was just nonsense. I, I finished one. Mm. I was devastated. I needed to take some time, and then I came back to watch the next, and I'm like, what the? Uh, fuck? It's, no! it's the same topic. Yeah, brutal. Um, uh, yeah, there's just a, a lot of a lot of real life misery and disaster, and the Oscar nominated documentary shorts this year are were surprising in that they didn't make me want to die on the floor. Yeah, there's there's actually like I mean they're they're heavy subjects for the most part, mm-hmm. but they're actually like you can take it. Yeah, like they're not trying to like beat you into submission. Like you can actually you can actually watch them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe not have necessarily a good yeah. time, but you can just be captivated and then go on with your day. The animated shorts ended up really killing me this year, but that's going to be a long conversation. Mm. We're going to hold off on that. We're going to talk about the two new theatrical releases, and then we're going to get to the Oscar nominated shorts because we want to give them all their time. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about the new releases of the weekend. Let's the probably the biggest new release mm-hmm. of the weekend, even though it did make a lot of money. Uh, Super Bowl weekend is typically not a great weekend at the movies because people are expecting to stay home on Sundays and they're preparing on Sundays, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the harvest, you know, getting the human sacrifices ready and making sure you have plenty of chips and bowls. That's what I always remember in like in like movies. People always put the chips in bowls mm-hmm. rather than just in the bag where the chips go. You just put the bag on your coffee table? Yeah. What are you, a caveman? Yes. <laughs> a caveman who invented chips. You put it in a bowl like a dignified human being. That's, yes. And that's how you eat your extreme nacho flaming hot Cheeto rings. Oh, whatever, I'm sorry. Whatever. I didn't realize you wanted to do extra dishes after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I didn't realize that was your kink. It's about being a generous host. I believe in bowls. <laughs> Anyway, you may mock me if you must. Anyway, it's typically not a great mm. uh, uh, weekend for movies, so mm. they don't release like big movies with lots of expectations. Yeah. They would never open Bad Boys for Life this weekend. They would never open Birds of Prey this weekend. So we got a couple of little movies. Uh, the first one I want to talk about, uh, and you didn't see either of these features, so I'm afraid I did not. This will be. I'll, I'll try to keep it as as mm. straightforward as I can. Uh, the first film is a new film from Osgood Perkins. Uh, he's the son of Anthony Perkins. Mm-hmm. He also had an acting career. You may remember him as uh, one of the supporting cast members from Legally Blonde. He's the guy who was like deworming people, like overseas, in order to like get into oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or to get into Harvard Law. Um, and he has turned himself into quite an excellent horror filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a film called The Black Coat's Daughter, which is highly acclaimed. I actually didn't see that one, but I loved his follow up. Uh, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, mm-hmm. uh, which stars Ruth Wilson as a woman who is giving end-of-life care uh, to a famous horror author mm-hmm. and finds herself just sort of swept into her stories amid her empty house. It's just really atmospheric and creepy in art house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really great. It's it's not for everybody because it's not really about external threat. It's about internal despair, but it's really creepy if you can get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has directed a new film adaptation of Hansel and Gretel. Except this time, it's Gretel and Hansel. To set it apart. Uh, well, you can't uh, you can't copyright Hansel and Gretel. No, it's you just, uh, you know, the name of the, no, it, the folk story. It sets it apart, but it actually is significant. Because in this version of, of Hansel and Gretel, uh, Gretel is significantly older than Hansel. She's mm-hmm. played by Sophia Lillis from It. And okay. uh, uh, the Nancy Drew movie, which is apparently quite good. Okay. Um, and uh, her her little brother is like, just a little kid. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the actual like dynamic it reminded me of was uh, Over the Garden Wall. 
I don't know that. You never saw the animated miniseries Over the Garden Wall with uh, Elijah Wood and... Um... No. I don't even know what <gasps> oh, that is. That's so good. I've never even heard of that. You need to watch this. <laughs> we need to do this on the Cancel Tuesday Monthly Movie sometime. Mm. There's an awesome animated miniseries, like six episodes, mm. uh, about two two boys. One's a teenager, one's like eight, maybe. Mm. Um, and they are lost in this like fantastical forest, and they're just trying to find their home. And every episode is them getting into some... Really creepy fairy tale type adventure, hmm. um, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but mm. it's perfect. Okay, it's so damn good. <laughs> and I think you'll love it. Mm. So if that, if you know Over the Garden Wall, I think it's on Hulu still. If you know Over the Garden Wall, if you have that sense of tone in your head, it's like that, but without like the comedy. Like it's actually like just the darkness. No, so it's, it's, it's a horror movie. It's basically a horror movie, but there's not a lot, of, again, there's not a lot of external threat. It's not like the witch is like zooming through walls, trying to hack them to pieces with her with her axe broom or well, some bullshit, the, you know? That's Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. Yeah, like it's not like that. It's, mm. it's basically trying to tell the original fairy tale in a very European art house kind of way. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I love that mm. right from the beginning. So the, the framework here so is... a lot of like smoky, sustained shots of the woods and yeah. long shots of people lost and a lot of it, yeah. Creepy, really. creepy humming music on the soundtrack. It feels like if Terrence Malick tried to make a horror movie, you'd get something not unlike this. I wish he would. I bet he yeah. could. I bet he'd be great at it. He understands existential mm. fear. Um, he just usually adds hope and dashes <laughs> yeah. all the fear away. <laughs> uh, so Sophia Lillis is, you know, she's a teenager, and there's a famine, much like at the beginning of every Hansel and Gretel story. Uh, in a lot of Hansel and Gretel stories, the parents are just like, well, we're hungry, and we can't feed the kids, so just get rid of the kids. They just throw them in the woods. Yeah, and, like yeah. that's that. Um, here, the dad's out of the picture. Mom is, I guess, incapable of working, so she sends Sophia Lewis off to like be like a handmaid or something at like a fancy person's house. Mm. But in like the job interview, they start saying really creepy shit to her, and so she refuses. Uh-huh. And of course, mom is furious because that was how we were gonna eat. So she drives them away with an axe, and now they're running into the woods, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're basically screwed. They're, they're everyone they encounter tells her like the best this kid can hope for is brutal manual labor, and the best you can hope for is maybe to get married, mm-hmm. and it's just miserable. And so, so when they run into they run into a house, it's not made of gingerbread because mm-hmm. it's not that kind of fanciful. But they meet they find a house where the architecture is totally wrong for the period. Okay, and. They look inside, and there's a huge smorgasbord of food, which is weird, because there are no farm animals, and there's no farmland. Mm. So where are they getting it from? I don't know. All I know is there's all this food. So there's this huge smorgasbord of food, and of course, they're captured uh, by the witch, who is played by the Mm. awesome Alice Kriege. (laughs) She she plays good monsters. She's so good at it. Mm. If you don't know the name Alice Kriege, uh, you probably know her best. She played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact, which she's great in that movie. She's having so much fun in that film. It's a bizarre choice for Star Trek, but Mm. yeah, she's having a a wonderful time playing this, yeah, kind of monstrous villain character. Uh, She was also... um, she was, uh, the, she was the mom yeah. in Sleepwalkers, the really creepy, evil cat lady mom. Mm. Um, she plays the witch like a woman who has made her choices, <laughs> and that's what it's sort of, of like. F it. Then that's kind of what's presented here. You know, in a lot of versions of Hansel and Gretel, um, you know, she's going to eat Hansel and she's making Gretel help in the kitchen. Mm. Here, it's basically just like, well, what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You have no other options. Like she doesn't immediately kidnap Hansel. She just sort of like keeps them around because like they have no other options, no food. Mm-hmm. But then she starts basically just convincing Gretel 
to come into her power. Like, you can stay with me. I'll teach you all this witch stuff. Hmm. Don't ask where the food comes from. Just don't ask. Hmm. And it's all very atmospheric. It's all very, very creepy. And the thing I find frustrating about it is that I'm not entirely sure the movie has a distinct perspective on whether or not um, witchcraft is evil or not. Hmm. Like, there's a lot of... Look, it's Hansel and Gretel. They're eating people. That's Mm -hmm. not a spoiler. Uh, But at the same time, it is the film's only metaphor for female empowerment. Okay. So I'm not entirely sure what the right takeaway is. Maybe there isn't one. Maybe it's just the world is really complicated. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's a fairy tale, and we're used to that being kind of oversimplified. Yeah. So maybe I'm just, like, sort of knocked off Mm -hmm. balance by this certain amount of thematic complexity from something that's supposed to be very straightforward. But what I do know is I was completely swept up in it. The design mm-hmm. is really impeccable. Uh, it's got some really scary bits, but again, it's not about external threat. It's about dis- desperation. Mm. And um, the design work is really, really incredible, and Alice Kriege is a fucking god. <laughs> so this is the kind of movie that if A24 had released it, mm. people would be all up their butts, like in a, <laughs> waiting in line to praise it on Twitter. Okay. Like waiting in line. But because, mm. they, because it comes from Orion, which by the way, it's so weird to see that logo on the big screen again. They, they brought back the old logo. I know, I love it. I just, it's so weird. But like because it's like from another studio, people don't know what to make of it. Mm. And everyone's just like, I don't know, it's weird. Or, eh, it wasn't really that scary. It's not a slasher. Mm. Like, it's a weird, creepy fairy tale. It's art house. Every, I, I, I don't know what people find scary. I guess It was the last time people said that one was actually scary. But uh, it's, it's so rare that, you know, an actually like legitimately terrifying horror film will come out and... People will I think, agree. I think, I think hereditary. Really, I think a lot of people thought hereditary was scary. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. but not many. Yeah. Not many. It's pretty. It's pretty uncommon. Um, I feel like people's standards are either too high or sometimes too low. For horror. Right. Like right. we're either like they want wait. something kind of cheap and schlocky, and if it's a yeah. little bit thoughtful, then that's not a, not enough for them. Yeah, and if it's or they only want something like you know Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist, and if mm. it's trying to be you know exploitative in any sort of way, mm. it must be bad simply yeah. because it's doing that, and I find that frustrating because movies are more complicated than that, and we understand that there are the levels. So, you know, you're saying it's just this sort of story about desperation. It, it sounds like that's just sort of a straight rendition of Hansel and Gretel. It's not super straight because it does play with the narrative a little bit. You know, again, it's not a gingerbread house. It's about yeah. sort of seducing Gretel to this mm-hmm. sort of vision of empowerment where she doesn't need men and maybe she'll turn on Hansel. And so it's a little different. Okay. It's a little different. And there are bits at the beginning I don't want to ruin where they play with like maybe this world takes place at the intersection of more than one fairy tale. But oh, it's not really gee. important oh, okay. later. It's okay. not really important later. It's just sort of window dressing. Mm. There's different little elements to it. Uh, but in many respects, this is basically just like, yeah, it's this almost a straightforward Hansel and Gretel just trying to make it super creepy. Right. But it doesn't have that sort of you know knee-jerk moralizing punch mm. that you'd expect from Hansel a fa- and Gretel. Well, a fairy tale. Yeah, exactly. Assume. So it's a little bit, it's just a mature yeah. adult version of it. Um, and I liked it a lot. I, find, I got really okay. swept up in it. I think it's the kind of movie that, again, if you have very rigid ideas about what horror should be, it might not be your bag. But if you're kind of loose with that and there are different types of things you like from horror, check this one out. It's really good. And I think yeah. Osgood Perkins is definitely a director to watch. Uh, I can only think of the, the Hansel and Gretel I saw in Disenchantment. Um, the, the the Matt Groening animated series. I got two episodes in and I quit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I understand. It's 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 no Futurama, but no. Um, 
the one of the funniest bits was when they actually are lost in the woods and they come upon the witch's house from Hansel and Gretel. But Hansel and Gretel are there mm. and they're adults and they're like hugely overweight because they've been eating all of the people who've been coming by. Oh, <laughs> oh. like they ate the witch and they developed a taste for humans. So Ew. now they're the ones who are eating people. That's okay. I like that. It was a really funny line. It's like, oh no, Gretel, you got harmed. This is so horrible. We are going to grow old together and eat a family. <laughs> I do appreciate yeah. how grotesque that is. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's, there's a movie there. It, it, it became kind of twisted for a little bit. Yeah, I'll be, I, there's a movie there. I'd almost want to see that. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel, the yeah. people eaters. Oh, the other movie that opens this weekend sucks. <laughs> there, I said it. With everyone with dollar signs in their eyes. There must be hundreds that look at you as if you're some kind of rhythm section one ad. No others need apply to the rhythm section one. Uh, that's uh, that's, that's a from, they might be giants lyric. Yeah, isn't it from that's from uh, Flood, right? And then no, Flood? it's from uh, it's from their first record. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, in any case, uh, the rhythm section uh, is a very bad new film starring Blake Lively, who, as we learned, in case you didn't know already, mm. from the awesome movie A Simple Favor, is actually a really great actor. <laughs> She's definitely got th- some I magic think, in her. I think she needs to be paired with the right role. Well, of course. Lot, I, most, know, most actors, I think, do. Well, most actors can't true. do anything. Well, and I think that's what you know separates an actor, like a, a really versatile actor from a, a, quote, movie star. Perhaps. You know, I, I feel like a movie star is somebody who we go to see them, not necessarily their acting. We get to see their personality and how good looking they are. I do feel like that there's a, there's a, there's a middle ground there mm-hmm. where uh, there's someone who maybe starts off as an okay actor but, or even a very good actor, but at some mm-hmm. point they find the thing they're great at mm-hmm. and then they become a movie star. Like yeah. case in point, John C. Riley, who okay. was a very uh, uh, prolific uh sort of indie slash supporting actor for the first like 15 years of his career Mm -hmm. and then he was in Talladega Nights and everyone's like oh he's really funny (laughs) and now he's one of the most popular you know comedic comedic actors actors, just in general Mm -hmm. and yeah he still does other roles but now he's famous for being funny Mm -hmm. it's almost like a late era like Liam uh, not Liam Leslie Nielsen Oh, he was yeah, like a, yeah. heavy throughout most well, of his career. Actually, yeah. Liam Neeson's another one where like he was just an actor's actor for most of his career, and then around the time Taken came out, everyone's like, he's a badass. Let's just cast him as the badass and everything. And then <laughs> well, that's well, what he did for like Sch- ten years. Schindler's List was in there, but yeah, well, was, but that was before, like mm. around like the the in the two thousand. And he'd done a couple of action type roles, but like in like the late two thousands, mm. he found a niche. And then that was his niche for a while. I did like 10 years of mostly action movies, mm. which is fine. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just what they found. I feel like Blake Lively has been, I mean, I know she did a lot of TV. I didn't really watch it, but like she's been like had a lot of like prominent roles and stuff like The Town mm. or uh, Green Lantern. Mm. And sometimes the movie was good and she just didn't really mm. feel like she was a part of it. Or sometimes ev- the whole movie sucked and it's no one's not her uh-huh. fault. But it felt like in Simple Favor, we found peak Blake Lively. Like, this is what she's really great at. Mm-hmm. And her follow-up is not another Simple Favor. Her follow-up is another film that I don't think knows what to do with her, and it's very frustrating. So, uh, the rhythm section, uh, Blake Lively plays a sex worker. Uh, and this is one of those movies that uses sex worker as code for damaged. Okay. And that's it. So, mm-hmm. fuck off, basically. Um so she's a sex worker because she used to be one of the top two students at Oxford, mm-hmm. but then her family died in a terrorist attack, and so she got really sad and started doing drugs and mm-hmm. becoming a sex worker. 
And then one day, while she's doing her sex work, a reporter comes in and says, hey, I'm a reporter investigating uh, the explosion that killed your family. Mm -hmm. I want you to know it was definitely a terrorist attack and the bomber is living in your town. He has literally no reason to tell her that. She Mm. has no information that will help with his story. He doesn't want anything from her. He doesn't need anything from her. He hasn't told anyone else who's like had family on that plane. Mm. But the movie has to kick off somewhere, so that's where he begins. So she goes over to she goes to his apartment and it gives her a huge information dump, and then she tries to kill the bomber, but she screws up, and then the bomber kills the reporter. So what she says is, "Okay, I know the reporter had a source." I assume, knowing nothing else about this source, that he could train me to be an assassin so I could kill terrorists. Fortunately, the guy is Jude Law, and that's exactly what he does. So, oh my God, Jude Law starts training her to be an assassin. First up, a morning jog. It doesn't go great. So he says, okay, clearly you're not ready to be an assassin. If you were ready to be an assassin, instead of going jogging, you would swim across this lake. And she's like, but it's cold. And he's like, I no and then he runs away and there's a long oneer where she just like walks into the lake and it's really quite chilly and then she and then she like she goes into his cabin and she's just like it was cold fuck you and now they have to keep training her uh so he trains her and he teaches her about guns and he teaches her in no uncertain terms you always shoot them twice no matter what and training ends when he's like he puts on a bulletproof vest prove you can shoot me so she shoots him once and he's like fine and so now she's an assassin also, she's, he's going to uh, make her impersonate a lady assassin he killed recently so that... So he can... Oh, no. So that she can get into the assassin world uh, where I guess no one knows this person except Jude Law and that doesn't factor into anything ever again and isn't important. Um, so she go, she finds uh, Sterling K. Brown mm-hmm. and uh, Sterling K. Brown's just like, hey, I would like to hire you to kill a whole bunch of people that are exclusively related to that terrorist event that your family was totally not in, right? I mean, you're totally a different person. And she's like, this is a great coincidence. Let's do this. What the, hell, what the hell is this? It's so <laughs> badly written. This is one of the worst screenplays mm. I've seen make it into theaters in a while. Wow. Because this is one that actually like has... The the it's directed with pretensions to 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 grandeur as though this is going to be like some really like hard hitting mm-hmm. really take revenge stories back to their roots kind of thing like like what the born identity did in the early two thousands right, where we're going to yeah. strip away most of the artifice from James Bond and so just yeah, have it focus a little bit on, more terse yeah, yeah a little bit more terse a little bit more emotionally resonant you know take the characters really really seriously but that's the style of the movie the substance of the movie is has none of that the plot doesn't exist the plot it, it, the idea of the plot is there but nothing supports it okay. everything is fucked Every, nothing makes any sense um there were reversals that make no sense there are uh reveals where it's just like ah yes you may recall two months ago i picked up a syringe full of venom well i still have it on me two months later i don't know why i don't think venom goes inert after a while i don't think there's an expiration date on that i got nothing all i know is i kept it on me even though it was naked a bunch of times and i'm like what the fuck (laughs) you can't just pull that that's terrible that's terrible writing it's a shame because you can tell Blake Lively's trying to throw herself into this. She's trying to like really give be a, an action star. Well, she's trying yeah. to she's trying to like give like an emotionally uh, uh, um, deep performance. She's trying to have it come from somewhere, mm-hmm. but the movie doesn't give her anything to work with. Like she feels sad about her family. Okay, I hate that 
going into sex work is just movie code for fallen woman. Mm-hmm. And there's they don't explore that at all, and that's weak. But when we do see her family in, like, flashbacks... Mm-hmm. By the way, it opens with, like, Cairo now, and then it goes to, like, London eight months ago. And then when we, as soon as we're in London, we're in a flashback already. Yeah. So I'm like, already I'm completely out of sorts and I don't know when we are. Oh, so, But the flashbacks are to when her family was alive. Apparently she spent her entire life with this family. And she's she's playing like mid-late 20s mm-hmm. or whatever. Spent her entire life with this family. Mm-hmm. She only hung out with them that one day. Because <laughs> they only have footage from like this one time when they were in the living room. <laughs> and there's no dialogue. Everyone's oh, just sort of looking funny. at each other and smiling. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel nothing now. We don't see the explosion. I mean, not that I want that to be fun, but it would at least make it immediate and real mm-hmm. to the audience. We don't see any of that. Here's, we don't see... There's a whole scene where she's like... Jude Law is explaining like who was responsible for the death of her family. It's like, yes, well, the bomber you saw, he was only hired by this uh, Muslim cleric who had a beef against whatever. Oh, so first geez. off hackneyed Hmm. but even then she's like okay well tell me more about that muslim cleric and then jude law is just like oh he died already but so now we're moving on to this guy and i'm like then why even write him into the script (laughs) it's just making like a so it's so bad here's my question i i I like those john wick movies but i I like them part you mostly because they're just outwardly absurd yeah it's like assassins wouldn't have a hotel it's just a fun idea yeah john wick knows it's kind of funny yeah are, can can we just put assassins away? Like, just take them out of the action film vernacular? Because I have seen way too many movies and TV shows that are about secret cabals of assassins. I agree. And that is such an absurd concept that we just sort of take for granted now. Yeah. That if you are an assassin, not only are you, like, killing world leaders for money, mm-hmm. it's not just your job. There's always this weird sort of, like, Masonic underpinning, like, this weird cult-like mentality. Yeah, there are rules operate. and secret, you know, like, There's actually deco- decorum to being yeah. an assassin. It's not just about getting weapons and being sneaky. Yeah. Uh, where, where did that idea come from, that assassins have to have a cabal? <sighs> And I think that and was, why did we buy it? Because that's such a stupid idea. <laughs> I actually think I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I actually I couldn't say with mm-hmm. absolute certainty. I know that there, I mean, there are secret spy syndicates. Yeah. So that might have stemmed from like the idea. Okay, so we know like, that Smirsh is from, like, like Smirsh is a yeah, thing. You know, like came that, from James Bond. That's yeah. Like, well, but you know, the CIA they mm-hmm. have assassins. They probably have more than one of them. They probably know each other. Mm-hmm. Boom. Something like that. Yeah. But I actually think that the very hold on. I want to make sure uh, I get the awesome. No, no. I want to make sure I get Donald Westlake. Donald Westlake. Donald Westlake, uh, who wrote. Um, uh, the Parker novels. They were famously adapted okay, into yeah. Point Blank and Payback mm. and a couple others as well. Uh, I think he did one called uh, The Outfit. And in The Outfit, we find out like a lot of the inner workings of sort of an arch version of the mafia, where it's mm. a little bit more bureaucratic. Everyone's got a little bit more rules to okay, it. It's yeah. not people making decisions in the back of a bar. There's actually like... A system. Meeting rooms, yeah. And I think that helped popularize the idea that there's a bureaucracy to crime. There's a bureaucracy to crime. I kind of like the idea that there's a bureaucracy to crime Mm -hmm. because I feel like crime is, I'm a lot, I'm more willing to root for a criminal if I feel like they have a code of ethics of some kind. Yeah. You know, like if they're just. Or they're more relatable if you realize they have paperwork they need to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, like if, like, oh, no, we can't kill him because, you know, we haven't gotten permission from the brass. Or, Mm. um, okay, listen, we. Or, or, um, 
there's a bit of that in The Wire where like nobody like there's a couple of like dumb kids mm. and like this gang and they shoot at a guy while he's taking his mom to church mm. and then even his boss is just like nobody violates the sanctity of a Sunday morning okay we, that's, we do not do but, that mm, that's there, the line and you cross some rules that here, there is okay. we don't have many but that is one of them and you cross that line so they just threw those kids to the wolves mm. so I like that but like I, yeah I think it started off as just spy agencies and there's a certain amount of secrecy and, mm. and red tape and then I think that started getting adapted into sort of the pulpy vein and yeah, um, yeah I think I think it's just where it comes from and I think it's comic cool. books it's, started turning into a big deal yeah that, it's just it, it's not an idea I've ever really that's ever really sat well with me because yeah. I, okay I appreciate you know you have the you have to have these special training schools and they all do like kung fu and have super weapons you're just killing one guy you need a yeah. gun you don't need you know kung fu skills but whatever mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to, to follow that so far a that they need a, an academy because they have so many. We need so many assassins yeah. that we are training like hundreds at once. Yeah, there's not that you, many you, people. You don't need to kill. If you need to kill that every, many people, that's just war. Yeah, I was about to say, it's <laughs> not assassins. That's just war. Also, <laughs> you know, I, I I live in in life. World <laughs> leaders aren't assassinated every day. If there were that yeah. many assassins, we wouldn't. We'd have a president but they do, every we, day. We do. We have seen we have seen instances of say mm. the Russian government, mm. like. Yeah, assassinating like like poisoning people's food with like radium and stuff like that. Right, so they right. die months later. Like yeah. that's a well established thing. That's that's yeah. an actual thing that has happened uh, not I, that long ago. I'm, I'm sure. And th- this came up when we were reviewing a deadly class over on Cancel Too Soon, yeah. the sci-fi series, which is about a high school that trains assassins. Uh-huh. And you know, once those high schoolers graduate and they're trained assassins, they're going to flood the marketplace. It's <laughs> like having too many lawyers. Well, in that particular, they're, they're not going to find enough work. They're being trained because they're like being sponsored by specific specific like crime families so like yeah. there are two people from like each crime family mm-hmm. they're going to be like their new assassins basically that's yeah, the idea of how that works yeah but they're more assassins than people to assassinate no i agree <laughs> listen i agree it's a foolhardy concept mm-hmm. I you i think was it you who was making this point that like do filmmakers know there were any other jobs in the wild west besides bounty hunters that, that was, i brought up that yeah yeah because i've, I've watched uh, too many too many westerns where just they're all about bounty hunters yeah, sure. like i get it there, there are more bounty hunters than people with bounty we talked about this in cancel too soon a lot some jobs are a, more inherently dramatic right than others every job has a good story connected mm-hmm. to it somewhere but there are some jobs where interesting things can and do happen to you a lot which is why we get endless tv shows about doctors yeah endless tv shows about lawyers particularly criminal lawyers because they're constantly interacting with new crimes cops detectives bounty hunters these are people who do dramatic things filled with conflict for a living the the difference is there are a lot of doctors and there are a lot of lawyers and there are a lot of cops there actually are a fair amount of bounty Uh, hunters uh, maybe bail bondsmen you skip bail bounty hunter comes get you it's not that uncommon it's not nearly as dramatic as it is in the movies but it's a thing But yeah, just while I said, you know, in the Old West, there were jobs other than bounty hunters. Of course, yeah. if you watch the movies, the only other jobs are uh, sex worker with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coffin salesman. The, yeah, there you go. There's the guy, the guy with the top hat. Who's always, who's always measuring yeah. you and like uh, you piss off Gene Hackman. A gunslinger. You know, yeah. nobody's just a farmer. No. Well, they get killed at the beginning. Yeah, I guess so. You get to, you get to avenge So somebody them. can get revenge. Yeah, it's great. God. <laughs> I liked The Quick and the Dead. That was a good movie. It's so ridiculous. Of course, but that one knows it. It should have been animated. Okay, man. It, it if like, that was an anime, that like, would be one of the best animes It is ever. like that broadly cartoonish, yeah. that movie. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the rhythm section. Uh, there's one thing. I'll give him credit for one thing in this movie. There's a really badass car chase right in the middle. 
right. where the camera is like in the car with Blake Lively the whole time, and it looked like it was a real pain to choreograph. Like they did the work. Okay, I'll give them that one bit. Nothing else in this movie works. It's really quite astounding to mm. see a movie like where you're just like, wow, it's like a studio release, and they actually did just, this. I, and I think it's because they were trying to make it serious, but they just didn't have the script to do it. Mm. I don't know what happened, except just someone should have rewritten that damn script. So, um, <laughs> so that's a that's a damn shame. So, um, yeah, those are the two new releases. All right, uh, let's talk about some shorts. Let's talk about some shorts. Which which uh, okay, so the shorts mm. are released. Uh, this year, because the shorts are kind of long enough, um, there's three different bills. Yeah, ordinarily, there's four because yeah. the documentary shorts tend to run long. Yeah, usually this, they, yeah. the limit of a time length of an Oscar-nominated short is 40 minutes, mm-hmm. and it's very, very common for Oscar-nominated documentary shorts to, to go, go right up to 40 to minutes 40. because they're trying to cram in as yeah. much as they can. This year, there's only two that hit 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're able to fit them the, all. The, the whole program is just, I think it's like two hours and 45 minutes. So it's, it's still pretty long. Yeah, feature length and, it, and then some. They're but. selling a ticket for just the one program, and the live action is another program, and then the animated plus a few bonuses is the tertiary program. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say you'll get your money's worth in each mm-hmm. one. But uh, which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's start with the documentary shorts. Okay. Uh, I, ten- I tend to start with the documentaries because. I always think they're going to be the hardest and the longest. So. And generally speaking, yeah. we have been re- making a point of reviewing the Oscar-nominated shorts. Mm. And I know a lot of other podcasts don't bother. Uh, but we've been making a point of this for, the, I think, the better part of 10 years now. Mm. And almost any year, that would be great advice. <laughs> Get the documentaries out of the way. Out of the way first. Yeah. You do not want to. I've made the mistake so many times without thinking where I save the docs until last. So and then I the just, animation is going to be fun. I'll start with that. And yeah. But then you have... Like yeah. three 40-minute films about end-of-life care ahead of right. you. Well, let's yeah. talk about... Which one do you want to talk about first? You want to go to an um, alphabetical order? Or? Sure, alphabetical. Okay, so the first alpha, uh, one alphabetical order is a film called In the Absence. And this is about a ferry disaster that happened mm-hmm. in South Korea several years ago. That uh, ultimately kind of led to the impeachment of the South Korean president at oh, the yeah. time. This is actually... this is I love this documentary. I think mm-hmm. this documentary is fascinatingly presented. Uh, and made a lot of really, really great choices that turn this one incident. And when you're watching it, it's a horrifying tragedy. And then you just couldn't predict how it would spiral into what it spiraled into. Mm. So there's a ferry. It's a lot of people on that ferry. A, typical everyday ferry. And it's sinking. A, a, tra- a traveling band of students is yeah. quite notably on yeah. the ferry. There's a few hundred people on the ferry. The mm. ferry is sinking. It's sinking slowly. Mm. But it is sinking. And the first third of this documentary is we're watching it sink in real time. There's tons of footage of it. Mm. And while we're watching it sink, we are hearing the phone calls of the various people in the South Korean government talking about how they're going to respond to the crisis. And how a lot of them don't believe it's happening. Mm. A lot of them aren't really responding at all. A lot of them don't understand how severe it is. So Mm. people are talking about how, like, okay, this is great. We're going to have a lot of great footage of us rescuing all of these people. They've been evacuated, right? And by this point, the thing is almost completely sunk. And we realize no one ever told them to evacuate. Also, (laughs) one of the first people to evacuate was the captain. Mm. And you're watching The captain survived. The captain survived because he was one of the first people off the ship, and he never told everyone to evacuate. Mm. So everyone has been told, say where you are, if you needed you to go somewhere, you would. So hundreds of people died. They all drowned. Because of terrible bureaucratic decisions. Terrible bureaucratic decisions and... 
the language that all of the politicians use during that first half is all PR related. Yeah. It's all, oh, well, how, how you know, make sure you get a good shot of like, can you land, can you land the helicopter on the ship and get people on and kind of wave it to the camera? Oh, yeah. And by the time they're saying things like that, oh, let's get a really good shot of this. Like they're thinking of it from a media perspective. It's like, it's like watching like an episode of Veep where mm-hmm. they're talking about an actual terrorist attack or something mm-hmm. where it's just like, this is totally incongruous. This mm-hmm. is not. You should. Yeah. Th- this is not the way this is supposed to be working at all. Yeah, the, the, the Everyone sh- here is going the, to hell. The line like, of terrible. Yeah, the line of let's land the helicopter on the boat. Like that's the, sinking. That's, you're going to add sinking. weight it's, to it's it. All, well, first of all, you're, it's already. They're going to add weight. It's already underwater. Well, they don't know that. Point. But even if they but, yeah. don't know that, you don't add weight to the thing that's sinking. <laughs> so, and mm. there, there are people who are telling the boats to get away from the boat because it might be dangerous. And you're like, it's so absurd. Mm. And it's absolutely tragic. So we're watching this, we know people are in there. Yeah. And so it's a horrible incident. And then trying to like clean that up yeah, the, adds the, the even the, worse disasters. The, yeah, the, all, the people involved were all put on trial, and uh, yeah. they were called into court. And there's footage of them in court, and they're saying things like, "How come you didn't you didn't tell people to evacuate?" And they just say things like, oh, "I don't recall. Yeah, I don't remember." And there's and, a really great shot of this one guy who was part of the rescue operation mm. trying to pull out bodies. And like you find out one of the people who tried to pull out all the bodies mm. ended up killing themselves because it was so traumatic. Uh, he's just like, I don't understand how you could not remember what happened on like the most important day of your career. I remember what happened. I remember every single thing because <laughs> I was there and I'm an adult. And you just watch it I'm like, yes, this is so <laughs> horrifying and harrowing. And then you find out that they were like, they tried to like raise the ferry by pumping air into the ferry mm. so that it would float, but they didn't actually connect the hose to the ferry. They just did it as a photo op. Holy yeah. shit. So the absolute ire and fury over this event led to the president getting impeached, a massive change in government. No one's happy. Mm, of course but, not. No one's happy. Everyone died. Well, yeah, but like, all it's just hundreds of dead people. But it's an astounding story. Well, I, I I really like this short. First of all, it's it's just harrowing watching everything yeah. just sort of fall apart, like right in front of your eyes, and uh, it and you you can say, well, this is about sort of the ineffectualness of that particular government and those groups of people. They mm-hmm. were ill prepared. They didn't know how to do this. Everything was mismanaged in the worst possible way. Yes, nobody knew how to say anything about it afterwards, and they were all kicked out. And and good riddance to those people. Now we have people who know how to respond to that sort of thing. In here's the thing. No, we don't. No. Uh, because this isn't necessarily about those people in government. This is about how in the modern age, press matters more than reality. Mm-hmm. And getting that sort of coverage and filming it and getting the photo op is the only thing anybody ever talks about. Well, and you can work backwards from mm-hmm. there where you can say, like, who are the types of people we elect to office now? It's not the people who are actually qualified to mm-hmm. do anything. Look at everyone mm-hmm. that, like, the current administration has installed in various positions of authority throughout the American government. They're all people whose entire agenda, if not their entire experience, is tearing down the thing they're in charge of. Yeah, yeah. You know, they put you put someone in charge of the education system who has specifically spent her like career trying to trying boost to, charter schools instead of public schools. Right, right, right. Like or not charter schools, you know, like, just, like d- private t- schools. Like, d- they're d- like disma- dismantling all the public works yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's not who you get. So if there's actually like a problem, they're not going to know how to solve it. They only know how to break it or they mm. only know how to look good. Like it's not about, or, you actually or, need or people just, to do the job. 
or they able to do the job. They know how to spin, and I'm not going to say they know how to spin successfully. Just no. spin is the language. That's and, all. They, that's all they can yeah. do, whether or not they're any good at it. And it's just we, this we, is a recipe for disaster, and it's a miracle when we go a certain amount of time without one, mm. because eventually, because this is how government works, mm. the government will have to do something. Mm. And then if it doesn't know how to do that thing, it will fuck up. Except for the current American administration. Oh, yeah, no, they'll, like be, they'll be great s- forever. Storms, and yeah. they're not doing anything, and it yeah. doesn't matter. It's, well, they, they, they just, they well, just okay. raise a middle finger, no, no. and that's that. This is know? the thing that's frustrating, is that you're watching this, and like that, I, I see what you mean, and I yeah. thought you were talking about something else. Um, this thing is frustrating, is that I'm watching this, and I'm like, wow. People actually took a stand against the government and their spin machine and demanded <laughs> a change. Uh-huh. I don't know what more it takes here. Like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, at the very least, the response was proportionate. Yeah. Like, after this bureaucratic failure, the response was proportionate and justified. And I'm looking at, like, you know, the disasters in Puerto Rico and everything. I'm looking at, like, where is this? It's frustrating, but it's a really exceptional short, and we Mm. need to move on. Uh, The next short... In alphabetical order. <laughs> I believe it's Life Overtakes Me. Uh, no, technically it's learning to skateboard oh. in a war zone if you're a girl. Uh, it's about skatistan. Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't know was a thing, and I love it. Yeah. Um, in uh, in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a very conservative country. Women mm-hmm. don't have uh, the best time there. And, uh, um, let's just, it's it's a institutionally misogynistic country yeah, where yeah. women have well, infinitely lot, fewer rights than men, and they're no, not supposed to be educated or learn how to read. Bo- and, both legally and culturally. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, women are discouraged from gaining education, and here is a documentary short, a rather... A positive and upbeat documentary Surprisingly short. uplifting. Uh, I kept waiting about for the a, other shoe to drop. About a girl's school. Uh, that it's operating is, in secret. Uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, in fact, some of the teachers refer, refuse to appear on camera. They, you hear totally their voices, but they say, I don't want my identity out there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's giving... Uh, not only is it giving uh, young girls an education, yeah. but it's also teaching them communication and empathy mm-hmm. there's a lot of classes about how to respond to threats how to respond to crises and how to be sympathetic to other people mm-hmm. you know the way schools ought to do yes and which societies ought and, to do and then to blow off steam in between lessons they go into their big uh warehouse out back and they learn how to skateboard. Yeah, they built up their own little indoor skateboard park because mm. girls are not allowed to learn how to skateboard mm. over there. And so they're learning how to skateboard. And I really do like they use learning how to skateboard as a narrative framing device uh, for the short. So like there's like five basic steps to learning how to skateboard. And of course, mm. perfecting them is another matter. But so like step one, you know, like the five one was, foot placements yeah, one, one was, or whatever. Yeah, balance. Um, okay. W- did either of us learn how to skateboard? No. Neither of us learned how to skateboard, so I apologize. No, I, I know but, what a tic-tac is. That's all I could say. Like the, So like each level of learning the basics of skateboarding mm-hmm. is matched up with some element of setting the school together or recruiting students whose parents may have mixed feelings or even really negative feelings about them getting an education. Mm. What and I just I kept waiting because I know the documentary shorts. I kept waiting for, for the, some the, terrible like, thing like, to happen. A, a bomb was going to yeah, blow up the school, or, or yeah, and, a guy was going to come in and shut and them down. And and yeah. the, the, it's not a naive short. They un, they they keep the looming threat mm-hmm. alive. And yeah, there are bombings. And yeah, there are well, and, men and who, if they know the girls are doing this, mm-hmm. they would hurt them. Yeah, there's also. Um, 
a, a bit of tragedy when they're asked the girls, what are you going to do? It's like, oh, well, I there's, I, I really want to be a doctor. And you know, they're talking about sort of their dreams and what they want to be when they grow yeah. up. And you know, their options and, are very limited. And yeah. We know that a lot of their dreams are just sort of doomed to fail in, in well, the environment where they grow up. Unless they change or unless yeah. they manage to get out of that situation. Fingers crossed. Mm. Um, but it's really an astounding, I feel like it's, this is one of the ones that pushes 40 minutes. Yeah. I feel like it could have been a really comfy 30 Okay. Like, I feel like maybe this one was a little longer than it needed mm-hmm. to be. That's a quibble. Um, but yeah, this is one that looks at a really harrowing situation mm-hmm. and finds something positive. It's like the one that won, I think, last year, which was uh, Period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was about um, uh, women learning how to make feminine hygiene products uh, mm-hmm. In small impoverished towns where education mm-hmm. about female um, anatomy and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just general women's health, just yeah. general women's health was at an extreme low. And most people didn't mm-hmm. understand the basics of menstruation. So it's about increasing education and actually taking the power mm-hmm. of their own bodies into their own hands and also making money off of it. <laughs> it was a really uplifting story mm-hmm. about helping a situation like that and this is another one like that and it's it's very effective I liked in that film uh, where they had to hand make uh, tampons yeah oh and and they they were making them at home and uh, in order to sort of scare the men off they said well we can't say we're making tampons because they'd be like sort of weirded out and they'd tell us to stop Mm mm-hmm but we also don't want them to come in, so we have to come up with something that women would be interested in, but men wouldn't. So they say, we're making diapers. <laughs> it's like, we're making diapers for the babies. Okay, yeah, you do that. We, we won't interfere with yeah, the diapers. Okay, let's just keep making our tampons. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Um, hmm. So this is a really nice one. There's not a lot more, more to say about it other than it's really good. Uh, <laughs> the next one is... This was really fascinating. It's called Life Overtakes Me, and it is about... A new psychological condition that has arisen in the wakes of our current immigration crisis yeah. and refugee well, crisis specifically, yeah. where people um, are are leaving their there's, their. there's a lot of there's a lot of refugees. Yeah, there's a lot of refugees out in the world, and there uh, and there's a lot of anti also anti immigrant sentiment all around the world. Just this rise of authoritarianism everywhere, and. Uh, this new psychological condition has arisen in a very specific t- uh, place. Mm-hmm. It is specifically uh, Russian and other Balkan immigrants emigrating to Sweden mm-hmm. and encountering a lot of prejudice there. And the younger people, the kids, will suddenly fall into what is more or less a stress-induced coma. Yeah, they're not really comatose. They're asleep. Mm-hmm. It's a little different. But they'll stay asleep for months, if not a year at a time. Mm-hmm. And the the idea that psychologists are working from is here are children who have escaped an intensely traumatic environment. Mm-hmm. And they all of a sudden they have stability. And then all of a sudden they're told because their families are constantly trying to fight to stay in the country. And they're doing it legally. Mm-hmm. But they have to constantly like retell the government what happened to them and relive yeah. these traumas in front of their kids who have to come to the court with them. The kids all of a sudden are in this period of intense uncertainty where they no longer know if they're going to have a happy life or the worst life possible. And they just completely detach. Yeah. Yeah. And this is happening to a lot of different people who are, yeah, they're from similar places for the most part, but they don't know each other. They're not mm. friends. It's not like they're all part of a community. It's just happening all over. 
and we meet a whole mm-hmm. bunch of the families who are dealing with this, and we talk about the intense trauma that they have dealt with, and how they hate that it's being, you know, their kids are suffering mm-hmm. because of this, and we see them just trying to take care of their kids as they're just asleep in chairs, just trying yeah, to like get them to dressing eat. them or trying to get them to walk, and yeah, like eat, hoist, hoisting their sleeping you know, bodies eat popsicles around, yeah. so they have some form of nutrient, you know, like something, and. It feels like the start of a horror movie. Like, doesn't this feel like the start of a Stephen <laughs> King story? Yeah, it's just so... It, it, it took the children first, sort It's of so thing. scary. It's, it's really it's, scary it's, what's re- happening to these kids. It's really horrifying, and it, it's, I think, putting a very intimate dimension to a, a larger political issue. Yeah. Um, it's not talking about sort of the hate groups that are going after immigrants. Mm-hmm. It's or not going after the it. bureaucracy. Yeah, it's or, just, or like the it's, hateful politicians yeah. who are just pushing forward a lot of hateful rhetoric. Yeah. It's about a very real and completely mysterious consequence to what's been going on to all of this. Because yeah. we don't know what the consequ- long-term consequences of all this hate is going to be. And here we are seeing... Uh, yeah, this really kind of scary new thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's really fascinating. And because it's such a new diagnosis, the film can't come to any conclusions about it. No. It can't. It doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know how to solve this problem. It, it doesn't even do know what the direct result yeah. is. It's kind of like spontaneous human combustion. It's like yeah. we know it happens, but we don't really know how it happens. So the so the trick in making the documentary mm-hmm. is how do you frame it so that it feels like a film and not just a catalog. And I think this is one thing that something the film struggles with mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I think that it feels like what this documentary is trying to be more than anything else is a warning. Mm-hmm. You know, a warning to help people who are actually in need and mm-hmm. not just leave them in a constant state of panic. Yeah, because yeah. that has consequences to people who absolutely, under any any reasonable estimation, have. Children should not be suffering under any circumstances. Mm. There's no good reason yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. So I feel like this is trying to be like like a you know a flare. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, it doesn't necessarily feel like the most cohesive documentary, but um, the information is fascinating and valuable, and I think important. Mm-hmm. And so I get why it was nominated. I don't think it's the best short. Um, let's see what we got here. The next up is St. Louis Superman. And I want to look the guy's name up on this one because these are really interesting. Yeah, um, this is the best one. Oh, you think this is the best one? I, I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, this is about Bruce Franks Jr. That's who it is. Uh, he is a Republican uh, member of the House of Representatives in Missouri. Is he Republican? I thought he was. Or, uh, I thought it was just everyone else was. Oh no! Sorry, he's not Republican. Okay. Um, no, he, he's, he's most certainly not Republican. I don't think he's Republican. Uh, I'd be very surprised. But uh, he he is but he, he is a member of the House of Representatives, and yeah. he uh, has a, a cause in his mind. Uh, he does not like uh, how much gun violence he has witnessed, mm-hmm. especially gun violence involving children. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big issue in his neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and he feels like the local politicians haven't been addressing it. Yeah. And that's what he brings up at every available opportunity. Yeah. Uh, his triumph is he got an anti-gun violence bill passed unanimously in the state legislature. Which is hard to do. Which Yeah, which is just doesn't happen. And he managed mm-hmm. to actually convince people. And uh, when he's not politicking... 
he engages in rap battles. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. It really seems like <laughs> it. And, like, and not in like this like uh-huh. sort of cheesy, I don't believe it kind of way, but in like a very real, like here's someone who his path in life did not lead organically towards politics. He's not mm. one of those people who was like, I'm going to go into politics. I was in my student union, that kind of thing. He's a guy who had his own life. Mm. He had his own interests. He finally, as an adult, said, I cannot just stand by while this shit is happening. I have to do something. Mm. And he ran for office, and he got into office, and then he actually accomplished some stuff. Mm. Did he save the world? No. Did he help? Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> did he save he, lives? He did. And, and what's really inspiring to see uh, him do, because the, the thing that I think, we, I think we get jaded with politics on the world stage, because it's hard to see what people do. Mm-hmm. On the local stage, that's the politics that really, I think, has an immediate impact on a lot of lives. And you can see this guy taking the time out from doing all the stuff he's, you know, technically part of his job description, mm-hmm. to make sure he goes to every funeral in his community. Yeah. Every yeah. single one, to the extent that it actually starts hurting him, like, in a very well, and, tangible way. And he is actually uh, very open about how he has per- personally suffered some trauma. Yeah. And he actually had to back off from the film for a little bit, just so while he dealt with that, and he had to back off from uh, some, some of the legislation for a little bit, just yeah. because he was not in a state to take care of it. Which is hard and, to admit. I admire him yeah. for that. He admitted it, and yet he was still resolute. And I, I admire his tenacity. Mm-hmm. I admire his creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admire him as a human being. Uh, this is not about a larger-than-life character. That is very it's, human. It's a, it's a hero story, but it's... It it's a kind of it hero doesn't... story that you could do. Yeah. Like, you, watching the documentary, mm-hmm. could accomplish what this person accomplished. He took a lot of work. I'm not saying anyone could do it. But what I'm saying is, if you put your mind to it and said, I want to solve problems, mm-hmm. you could at least get as far as this guy. Yeah. And you just have to work your ass off. You have to be sympathetic. You have to take life seriously. You have to try. And here's a guy mm-hmm. who did all those things, and he did really, really great stuff. And I think he is an inspiration to us all. I do. Yeah. From, yeah. And, and, a, and again, in a way that doesn't feel schmaltzy. This should be the kind of thing my brain rejects. Oh, he's a politician and he's super cool. Bah! But well, I you, get to know him when, so well in his style. When they finally make the Hollywood biopic version, uh, yeah. that's going to be the schmaltzy version. I feel like they they're already... going to cast some very good actor. No, they already and they did it. Just, pardon? They already did it. D- they did? Well, sort of. Remember that sitcom The Mayor? Oh, well, I was going to mention The Mayor. Yeah. Uh, that was another one we uh, covered on Cancel Too Soon. Yeah, it was about a, a young rapper who just sort of on a larf decided to run for mayor. Yeah, he thought it would be good publicity for yeah, his album. For he never thought he'd win, but then he accidentally does. He accidentally does. And the fun thing about that series is about how he actually rises to the occasion. Yeah. About how you know his his friends are kind of layabouts, he's kind of a layabout. But his mom lights a fire under his butt and he realizes, oh wait, this is like a job where I can actually help the community well, I, I care about. I have responsibilities mm. and I can make, and he's not a bad person. He mm. just didn't really consider the ramifications mm. of his actions. And now that he's there, he does it. That's a good yeah. show. Damn it, it's it, a actually. good show. Yeah, and and it's, it's, it's actually funny. really funny. Uh, it, it makes like local civics seem kind of fun. Yeah. It's like just sort of jumping through hoops to get a bus bench put somewhere. Is yeah. Like, or it was getting covers over the bus benches yeah, for rainy days. Yeah, yeah, that was actually like, like a big, big difficult and, and evidently, thing. That, yeah, like, that's, that's a huge difficult thing, but we but actually can, get to see the struggles and how much he puts his heart on the line for something like that. quality of life. Yeah. It was yeah. really important. So, like, these things matter, and I like seeing that. I, I agree. Mm. I like that one a lot. It's not my favorite, but we'll talk about my favorite mm. if we get through all of them. And then the last one is Walk, Run, Cha-Cha, which is very sweet, 
perhaps mm-hmm. a little insubstantial. Uh, but it is about yeah, th- this one's a puff. This one's a bit of a puff. It's nicely done, but it's a bit of a puff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about uh, an elderly Vietnamese couple. They immigrated to I think California. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this is many years ago. This, this and, in L.A. Yeah, yeah. And they're in their, they're in their sixties now. They're they're spry for sixty, but they're getting on in years, and they know it. Mm-hmm. And so they have decided to take their love of dance and decide to become uh, compete. Compete in ballroom dancing. Compete in ballroom dancing. That's the story. We -hmm. learn a lot about their relationship. We learn a lot about how when they left Vietnam, having a dance party would be the sort of thing that could get you arrested. So this means a lot to them. It's sort of them expressing Mm -hmm. their freedom. That part is really, really great. And it ends in like a nice little bit of them actually performing. And they're quite good. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. But this feels like... It feels like one of those... uh... In British indie comedies yeah. from like the late '90s and early 2000s, where people a, a, a group working class people do fun hobby, yeah, like Saving Grace, she mm. sells weed, or the Full Monty, they are their strippers, or, or the um, Big T's, yeah. he's a funny hairdresser. Well, oh, that, that, that's a, a little bit of a different animal. But, Slightly, uh, uh, but Calendar Girls is another yeah. one. We're gonna po- we're just local mums, but we're gonna pose in a nude calendar and raise a Brassed bunch of money. Off, where we get in a brass band. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the one where they put on the opera? Cosi. Oh yeah. Yeah, there were, there were then didn't uh, didn't Branna do like was Winter's Tale was it about putting on like Winter's Tale? It was called it was called In the Bleak Midwinter in England. It was called A Midwinter's Tale in America. That's what yeah. I was getting at. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that's about a theater troupe. But it's, but still it's a kind of, similar it's similar, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's um, not unlike it. But yeah, people who who do something unexpectedly edgy to make Ed's meet. And that's what this feels like. Uh, yeah. Oh, I my it feels like that film Shall We Dance, which is another one, one from that exact same school. It's one of the best um, dance movies ever made. And not the Richard Gere one, and not the and not even the Fred Astaire one. I'm talking about the Japanese one from the nineties. Mm. We did an episode of the two shot about that a couple of years ago. Boy, is that movie wonderful. <laughs> it's very sweet. That movie's great. Um this 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 documentary short is sweet. Uh, to borrow your phrase, it's not schmaltzy. They nope. they they steer they, away they from it. sentimentality, uh, but it just doesn't amount to a whole lot. It feels like yeah, it, I feel, it feels like a really well made ode to someone's parents. These the two people in question. Let me look up their names just to give them proper credit. Um, uh, Chi Paul and Millie Cow mm-hmm. uh, are you know interesting people. I think they're more interesting than this film lets them be. I'd rather hear more mm. of their story. I'd rather hear more yeah, about they sort of about how he like he immigrated to America and didn't mm. know if she would even be able to join him, and he had to fight really hard. Yeah, to, like they were for se- six months. They didn't they, talk to they, each they other. They were separated for a really long time. Yeah. They just reunited. And yeah, um, that sounds amazing. I, I feel like yeah, that's a good story. The, the filmmakers either didn't let them tell their story, or maybe their story just wasn't as interesting as they hoped it was going to be. Yeah. It's like, oh, there you are. You know, okay, we're back. Want to go dancing? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this, this would have been daring back in the day. Oh, yeah, like, huh. like, it's good, and it's, yeah. a, it's a well-made documentary, but when you compare it to the other nominees, it just doesn't feel like it amounts to a lot. Mm. I think the one that made the biggest impact on me was In the Absence, because I thought they did an excellent job mm. of finding exactly the right... Because they could have told that story any million different ways. Could have done it mm. through interviews. They could have done it through just documentary footage. They found the right angles okay. to make it... Immediate w- watch the disaster yeah. happen. Watch the disaster yeah. happen. Watch the disaster happen from multiple angles simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Really make you feel the sense of time. It like the brief amount of time it took for this all to occur, mm-hmm. and then watching this one horrifying incident spiral out into an international incident. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a really stellar job of that in a really short amount of time. So I think that one for me, I think is not necessarily like the best story per se, although I think it is. Um, I think it's the best storytelling in okay. the documentary in this set. All right. 
but you like St. Louis Superman better. I like St. Louis, like Louis Superman just because it is the most inspiring. A lot of uh, these films are, yeah. do very good about sort of advancing causes, and uh, I, I maybe that's just where my radar is pointed these days, sure. but I think something that can actually like get me excited about a cause, especially something like local politics, which is typically so dull, yeah. uh, then it's done something really astonishing. That's a good point. Well, let's move on to the live-action shorts. Yeah. And let's go in uh, multiple, in, uh, multiple, in alphabetical order again. In, uh, uh, numerical order. Uh, this, the first one is called Brotherhood, mm-hmm. and it is about a Tunisian family, um, man, wife, teenage son, little kid, mm-hmm. and they are surprised when their eldest son returns home all of a sudden mm-hmm. with a new uh, Muslim wife, which is yeah. completely covered. She's got, yeah, got they are not. They are not this level of practicing Muslim. Mm-hmm. And we find out very quickly that the reason why this is incredibly awkward is because their son left the family to join ISIS. Mm-hmm. And he went off to fight in Syria, and the whole family disapproves. And the dad does not approve of his, what his son has chosen to do, mm-hmm. doesn't approve of his husband's new wife, who we quickly learn is like 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is intensely concerned about his eldest son spending any time with his other sons, lest they be indoctrinated into ISIS as well. So he's very torn. He wants to love his son, but he doesn't know what to do or how to protect his family. Well, and she, she, uh, the wife character wears the, the, um, hmm. the total, total body covering. She can't show off any, yeah. any part of her body. And at one point the dad just says, you can't wear that around here. And it says she take it off. And that's really offensive to both his son and his son's wife. Yeah. And she took it off, and I was, I was actually like doing something with my hands. I was looking away from the screen, and when I glanced back, I'd missed the part where she took it off. And he was yeah. really, a, a, really sort of offended. And for a minute, I thought, oh wait, it, it was actually a man under there, <laughs> and he had married a boy. Now that would have been. And, that and I thought, been, oh, that, that, and, been a and, twist. and for so for a second, I was like, oh, this is really kind of fascinating. And we have this sort of extremist thing, but it turns out no, he's, he's like not, closeted, closeted gay and. Oh no! Wait, it's just. Oh, okay. Actually, it's about something completely different. It turns out. So I, I yeah. got an additional surprise because I misinterpreted everything. Well, if mm. you actually interpret everything correctly, mm. like some critics, Whitney. I, I was just telling you an ex- interesting experience. I know. I had. I'm just. I got sh- it by the end. I wasn't I'm being, totally lost. I'm being a schmo, but yeah. Um, yeah. The whole point of of the story really is how much is his his father. The father is going to trust the son. Mm-hmm. And whether or not he's going to turn his son in, and I'm not going to tell you how it ends because it's really short and what would be the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am going to say that you know there's there's more to it than first appears, and I think the movie does a pretty good job of handling ambiguity well, and regret and uh, just sort of understanding how complicated this scenario is for everyone involved. Yeah, and not taking an easy road out. Well, what I appreciate is that this is this is a film explicitly about Muslims, and mm-hmm. I I think the filmmaker was perhaps hell bent on breaking stereotypes. Yeah, uh, Muslims are especially in America are depicted on film in a very specific way. Typically, um, very very negative. Yeah, t- yeah, typically, yeah, they're they're villains in most American pictures. Yeah. Um, this is showing a lot more of a nuanced, complex uh, relationship that Muslims have with their faith and with ISIS and with other extremists, and they're aware of how they are seen uh, because of extremists. And I think this film takes all of those things and puts them into play in this very sort of intimate drama between family members. Yeah. 
and uh, I loved the relationships and I, you yeah. know, the, the character that you dislike, you kind of find that you, he's actually a very warm person. Well, there's people are just more people. There's more to everybody mm. than appears on a very surface level. And I like the way that this film addresses how we have set ideas about even people that we love mm. and we need to constantly check in with them to make sure they're still that person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a, it's, it's an excellent short. I like this one a lot. Uh, the next one is called the Nefta Football Club, and this is the this is a comedy film. <laughs> this is the closest one we get to a funny one, although I wouldn't call it a thigh slapper necessarily. It, it's it it has a setup, it has funny characters, it has a good payoff. It does. Um, it has a great payoff. Yeah. Um. It, it's about. It starts with a, a literal drug mule wander, yep. wandering through the countryside. Yeah. And it's lost. Yeah. And we we cut back to the guys looking for. It. It's like you idiot. We there's there's like. <laughs> So much drugs on that mule, and it turns out the mule has been trained. If you put like headphones on it, mm-hmm. and it plays like Adele, play, if, you, if they play Adele to the the donkey, it'll, it'll go where it needs to go. Yeah, but the guy didn't hear the other guy right, and he mm-hmm. put on like some other musician whose name sounds kind of like Adele. Uh-huh. So the donkey is lost, and they have no idea. Yeah. Who the donkey is. <laughs> so, uh, so we cut to two kids, and this is also in set in Tunisia, by the way. Kind of a weird hmm. uh, coincidence. Uh, all the countries in the world. Two from Tunisia. Interesting. Uh, but uh, a couple of kids stumble across the mule. Mm. And one of them's a little boy. The other one's an older teenager. And he's like 12 or 13. He's, but yeah. he's older, you know, yeah. he's significantly older. To well, the extent one, that he recognizes the drugs. Yeah, one's like seven or eight. The other's like, yeah, about yeah. 13. So the little kid's just like, hey, this donkey's got weird stuff on it. And the, guy, and the older brother's like, oh, yeah, that's... Um, laundry soap. <laughs> laundry soap. Yeah, that's the ticket. Let's, let's steal the laundry soap. And the scene of the little kid, like, just sort of comically hucking big bags of cocaine into <laughs> into his own trailer. Because he, he's just having fun. Yeah, he doesn't know what it is. That's hilarious. So, like, the idea of, like, keeping this secret from a child mm. and the child's complete absolute innocence over <laughs> this horribly uninnocent thing and, that they found and and all and all he can talk about is football oh yeah that's all there, he cares there's about there's a new football championship he's talking about the football stars yeah. and and he's enjoyed ta- enjoys talking about it that's his only context and for the, the world and the older brother you can see the dollar signs in his eyes like in a looney tune where mm-hmm. he's going to sell the drugs as a local drug kingpin and we're not going to tell you again how this mm-hmm. one ends cuz again they're very short yeah and, and the punchline um, is perfect. The, it's, yeah. it's, it's not one where they all die. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> this, is actually, this is a funny short mm-hmm. about kids who are naive and mm-hmm. make some silly choices. And it's a real it's it's a nice little movie about how in this world where terrible things happen, mm-hmm. kids are always kids. Yeah. yeah. The values of what a child values over what an adult values are mm-hmm. so diametrically opposed that one wonders when we juxtapose them like we do in this short why we ever grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a good short. I like it, it a lot. Is, it is. It's really, uh, it's really well made. This is one I bring up a lot, but uh, the, the short from uh, September 11. The, the only, like, legitimately funny uh, film about September 11th. Yeah. Uh, where it was about a bunch of kids in a little tiny city in Burkina Faso, a uh, small country in Africa. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was shortly after 9-11 had occurred. The movie came out shortly after 9-11. Yeah. And... Uh, it's a whole bunch of filmmakers making a bu- different, a bunch very, of, yeah, like, um, was it like each one's got to be like nine minutes, 11 seconds? Exactly. It was, yeah. or it was 11 minutes, nine seconds. Because yeah, yeah. in oh, yeah, yeah. it was 11, nine. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, each each was exactly eleven minutes nine seconds. Uh, Inuyasha had a short in there. Uh, it was and it was mostly audio. It's his best movie. Right. Um, Sean Penn has a short in there, uh, yeah. and there was a film from the country Burkina Faso about little kids in their little tiny town in Burkina Faso who hear about this horrible uh, tragedy, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's half a world away." It actually doesn't mean a lot to them. Yeah, they have no meaning. Uh, and it's announced, and this guy, his name is Osama bin Laden, and he's he's like public enemy number one. And if you catch him, you get a huge reward. And they're like. Wait a minute, that guy across town. It's clearly not him, but there's a <laughs> guy in their village who kinda looks like kind of like him. So it's about them doing this kind of like Tom and Huck thing, trying to trap this guy who lives in their village. It's hilarious, and the kids are completely delightful. I felt the same way about uh, about the Nefta Football Club. Yeah, it's like it's, it's not a funny subject, but they found the right they, funny yeah, story. They, exactly, it's actually a very serious subject, but A, the drug dealers are kind of buffoons. Yeah. There's a weird comedic conceit that the donkey has to listen to Adele. And what ends up happening is actually pretty sublime. Yeah. Uh, the next one is mm. called The Neighbor's Window. Mm. And, this, and is, this is an American film. This is the this is the only American film. Mm. Uh, and it's a story that, I'm going to say this right now, mm. I, you kind of see the ending coming, but it's very well constructed. It's, it's very well made. It's very frank about modern adult relationships. I think so. And there's a really great, it's about a, a married couple they have, it starts with, uh, they have two kids and one on the way, and it grow, grows later into, they have three kids. And they're in their late uh, 30s, they're feeling the pressures of adulthood, they're yeah, just frustrated um, with how their lives are going. Well, they're, they're, they're in that sort of, they're approaching middle age, and they feel like they're in a rut, because yeah. they're constantly taking care of their kids, their relationship isn't what it used to be. Uh, meanwhile, right across from their building, across the street, they can see straight into their neighbor's window, and they're young people in their 20s, they're young and they're hot, and they're having sex all the time. Yeah. And, uh... At, at first, uh, the wife in the scenario accuses her her husband of just sort of vicariously looking in at all times and like just sort sleaze. of getting yeah, sleep, like being a peeping tom. When really she's the one who wants to look more, and it's partly vicariously. And in fact, there's a scene where they turn the lights off and they just sort of like spy in, like snuggle. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the For the like, night. We'll, we're ju- we'll just watch our neighbors bone and just watch and have a good time. Yeah. Um, but it but becomes it leads, like a regular part of their lives. It becomes a regular part of their lives, and it kind of opens up a conversation between them, which I'm glad the film actually let them have, yeah. uh, where they both get to express how frustrated they are, and uh, they say, you know, how come you're not doing X, Y, and Z? How come I'm always doing X, Y, Z? And uh, the husband comes back with, you're not the only one who wishes they were 20 again. You know, yeah. it was fun. Now we're parents. This is what our lives are now. Yeah. And it becomes... Uh, not just about trying to reclaim lost youth, but trying to figure out exactly what it is you think you've lost. Right. And and besides the obvious things like, you know, time to go to parties and, and I, drink, you know, it's, it's, I think that's all very well made. Mm. I think it's all very well done. I like the, you know, the way it ends, mm. it's kind of the only way it can end. You know, if you think about it, like how is yeah. this really going to tie together at the end, if it makes any sort of narrative sense, uh-huh. and it does. And if you haven't already like thought to yourself, mm. oh, what happens with it? Like you'll see, and I think it'll work. Um, it, it's, it's sweet, and I like the, the conclusions that it comes to, I like the perspectives that it offers. It's almost too tidy for me. Like, <laughs> I, it's almost I, I, too I cleanly made. I didn't like the like, ending, actually. I liked it. You, you didn't it, like the ending. I, I did like not, the, I did like not like the ending. The ending or the denouement? Because I think those, those are two slightly different things. I didn't care for the denouement. I thought the denouement mm. was unnecessary. I'm talking about the same thing here. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the, it, it's... What they begin witnessing, you know, changes. It, yeah. it, it's it, not the situation not a, changes. Situation changes. It's not like a thriller. They don't you know they don't they witness don't watch murder. Yeah, or it's anything. not real window. Um, uh, 
it's 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 sort of like a, a drama version of her window, if you will. Yeah. And I I didn't like. Yeah, I didn't like sort of the big, the reveal at the end, and I didn't like that that sort of actually took a lot of the edge away from everything that had come before it, because yeah. it tied it up a little too tightly. That's kind of my point. Like, yeah. it feels too, like, it, it's so well constructed mm-hmm. that, yeah, it functions, but it's almost a little boring. Even though no, it's very well made. Up, well, up until the end, I think well, it was actually but pretty think, excellent. But it's, so, it, but it's all yeah. building to the end. Yeah, like, yeah. It, the ending isn't just, and then we're done. The ending mm-hmm. matters here. Yeah. They're coming to a conclusion, like they're raising these issues, and they come to a conclusion about it that ideally isn't what you would think it would be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all very earnest and well-intentioned, but I think it is so tidy. And I do think that the last shot, or the last like couple of shots, mm-hmm. like after everything's been wrapped up, there's like one little bit before the credits... I actually think there was a missed opportunity there, but I can't talk about that without spoilers. Yeah. I, think, I, I do li- I like that last shot. I think it was a good yeah. way to end it uh, um, like, in terms of like just aesthetics. But sure, but uh, yeah, it's it's. Listen, this here's the I think one of the great tragedies of the short programs. Mm-hmm. None of these movies were intended to be shown together. That's true. Now, yeah, this they, isn't like a horror anthology where they planned it out and they said, this one will go here, this one will go here, this will build to so that. You, you think in watching them together, we're sort of juxtaposing unduly? And perhaps. I think yeah. sometimes. I think sometimes it's easy to, like, like if there's, like, four serious ones and a funny one. You're going to remember the, the funny the, one. The funny yeah. one's like, oh, thank God, because the contrast. Yeah. And that's not necessarily by design. These movies were mostly designed to be shown at various festivals where they would stand out either because they were so Hmm. cleanly constructed or so emotionally impactful, which is why sometimes a lot of the shorts can be so emotionally devastated. They're trying to get your attention Hmm. after being seen with dozens of things. So when you only put five in them, it starts to feel a little bit more like you're trying to find a pattern or something. And this one (laughs) definitely stands out because Hmm. this is the one that feels very Hollywood. Hmm. You know, it's a couple of actors you might well, recognize it, it in American, it. It is American. Yeah, well, there's an actor in it, at least hmm. one actor in it you probably recognize if you've seen a lot of movies. You know her. You're like, oh, I've seen her. Hmm. Like, and it's it's just, it's shot in America. It looks like an American production. It looks like an American film. Um, and it has that tidiness that you'd find from a studio product. Yeah. So well, I think that, I think in a vacuum, this movie is actually really quite excellent. I think hmm. in comparison to the others, it doesn't have the same impact for me. That's fair. It's totally yeah. fair. Uh, and that's I, not the movie's fault. Hmm. The movie's great. <laughs> the movie's really, really well, well made. I just, um, yeah. I'm going to use my criticism to sort of segue into the next short, but um, uh, a common criticism of the short films format, just in general, is that uh, a lot of filmmakers feel really frustrated because there are... uh, They feel like they're kind of binded. They're not able to sort of tell the same kind of story in a short that they would in a feature film. Yeah. Which means... You have less of a landscape. Exactly. You have have less time to deal with. So a lot of shorts, good good and bad... Uh, have to rely on essentially the joke uh, structure. Yeah. Where there's... there's setup payoff. There's a, there's a setup and there's a punchline. And um, if you see a lot of shorts, especially ones that sort of cleave to that, and there's, certain, there's like a twist or, of some kind. And when I say that's a punchline, it's not funny necessarily, but... Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's horrifying. There's, there's sometimes a, yeah, it's horrifying just... twist. Just there's there's yeah. a... it's It all builds to one thing, and then there's like one last reveal, end. And that's, de- that's definitely true of The Neighbor's Window. Because yeah. there's a lot of setup, and then there's this sort of uh, bomb right at the end. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't change everything, but it's the punchline. It, it, it switches uh, our perspective a little bit. We think of the yeah, story a little differently, and that's the idea. I, I personally feel that the better shorts are the ones that tell the exact same type of story as a feature. They just do it in less time. We're about to talk about Surya. And we're about to talk about Surya, because that's really good. Surya is a film from Guatemala, and it t- uh, tells the story of a true... Well, it's a film about Guatemala. The director, I think, is actually American. 
Oh, are they? Okay. I think well, so. It's, it, it was filmed in Guatemala. It's, it's, no, no, fair uh, enough. It's, I think it's Jeff Buckley. And it's, and it's about a... Not Jeff Buckley. I thought Bri- it was... Brian Buckley. Brian Buckley. Is it? Yeah, Brian Buckley is, That's okay. is, is the director's name. Right. Um, I only know so many Buckleys. But uh, it's a, the true story about an orphanage in Guatemala, Guatemala City that uh, was... The, like, Dickens would have written about this place. Dickens would have, like, mm. not... Thought it would be in poor taste to write about this place. Yeah, like, yeah, was, this place is hell. It's, yeah, um, it starts in a classroom, and you think it's an ordinary classroom, but then the teacher, like, grabs one of the students for some very minor infraction and physically assaults them and shoves them out of the room mm-hmm. and starts threatening everybody. And... Turns out the it's, abuse goes even further. The abuse, go, yeah, the yeah. abuse goes really far, and uh, luckily the the abuse isn't made incredibly explicit on camera, but, yeah, but they, they talk about the horrendous ex- they like, do. They're, they exploitation. They do. They say They talk yeah. about it very, very loud. And... Um, we, because I, I was not intimately familiar with this actual event, I wasn't really sure what was going on for the first part of it. Yes, yeah, Sam. Because I, I thought it was a class. Wait, this is just like a boarding school. This is a prison. No, this is an orphanage. Yeah. This is where they're supposed to be looking after the kids, but it's just it's like an abuse prison. Yeah. And uh, they're the kids are relating on various levels, and the main the character that sort of the protagonist that we're seeing things through is the title character Surya, and she's eyeballing a boy who's also at the orphanage and mm-hmm. having these conversations about boys and what they're going to do about their scenario with other orphans and revolution is in the air. Yeah, there's uh, a plan. There's mm-hmm. an escape plan that they're mm-hmm. that they're hatching and the scene of this this surprisingly this is if you don't know the story, mm-hmm. you might be surprised to know this isn't the end of the movie. Uh the escape as well and stunningly like cinematic as any feature you've seen. Yeah, like it's yeah. so effective. It's so mm-hmm. intensely dramatic. There's some really amazing shots, like POV shots of like kids jumping from a building onto a tree. Which mm-hmm. I wish I could have seen this one in a theater in particular. That was <laughs> a really great, uh, just a cinematic moment. Um, and then where it goes from there? Again, we were not going to reveal it. Um, you can look up the real. Oh yeah, if you it's want to. On, yeah, yeah, if you want to. This is based on a true story. Um, the way the where it goes and the way it gets there. And the sort of unceremonious way it gets there mm-hmm. really clawed at my soul. <laughs> like, just the way that, like, oh, I have an idea. And then, like, just, oh, God. Like, everything mm-hmm. just infuriated me. But in the way where this is a filmmaker manipulating me effectively. And I actually think this is the kind of thing where we talk... I think I actually agree with you... That a lot of the more impactful short films, especially the ones that get nominated for an Oscar, mm. are the ones that feel like mini movies. In fact, typically those are the ones that win, mm. are the ones that feel like this could be a feature if you padded it out. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was the winner. But I actually think this is the kind of thing where it's so well crafted as a short. I wonder if they could do a great feature because I think I wonder if like because if you pad this out, if you add more meat to it, mm. I don't think it would be as good. Well, I, I think this needs to be this, like uh, just this, like it's per, shot it's of per, espresso. It, it, you know? it's, in its perfect form, right? Yeah, now. this is. I can't I imagine feel, this getting in, much better. I could feel it. Well, I mean, there's a lot more detail to what was actually going on in those orphanages. Of course, so that's, that's, that's all you would add. Like actual. Inf- would just, that help the pacing? Would that help the delivery of the information? Would that help no, the emotional it, impact? I don't think it, so. Emotionally, it would. It would be the same. We just get more right. info, and yeah. that's and that's fine because I think you, people should know about that. True. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, really really devastating. 
the one that got under my skin the most, however, was a sister. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Uh, there is, a, and there I think a... it's because I went through a really bad breakup at one point in my life, so it's oh. really relatable to me. Interesting. Uh, there was a short. Fi- I, I totally forgot the title of it. There was a short film from about uh, four years ago about a wife who was trying to escape her abusive husband. Oh, that one was fucking amazing. And, and she was, was she was at work and she was like trying to uh, like get her coworkers in on this to lie and obfuscate to make sure her husband mm-hmm. didn't get suspicious, didn't come to get her, didn't and come to look for her. And it's kind of told from like the little girl's, like or the little, I forget if it's a boy or a girl, but mm-hmm. the little kid's perspective mm-hmm. and the kid doesn't have all the details and we're picking up that she is trying to rescue her kid from an abusive family mm-hmm. But she has this morning to do it. Yeah, she has to and do, she has it to do now. a lot. Yeah. She has a lot on her to do list in order to do this to, to, to really it's, get an even break. So this guy can't find that, her. That didn't win best live action short is yeah. one of the great travesties for yeah, me because yeah. that was that was one of the best incredible. film just films in general. Yeah, period. Of that Once I, I'm looking, I'm um, trying to look it up. I want to make well, sure I'll, I'll go on to uh, a sister because yeah. a sister deals with something very similar. It, it's also based. Well, it's inspired by a true event that uh, happened in Utah. Uh, this is a French film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about nine one one dispatch. Mm. Uh, we see a woman in the front seat of a car. It, the movie we're talking about. Uh-huh. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Everything see will be okay. That is short great. Yeah, yeah. is so good. Everything will be okay is amazing. Um, and a yeah, a sister gave me a similar sort of chill because it's about mm-hmm. a, a woman who is sitting in the front seat of a car with. Somebody we know is kind of suspicious at first, and yeah. that's all we know. Yeah. And uh, she's calling her sister, and then we cut to the 911 dispatch call that she is actually called. It's a really clever bit. She oh, says, yeah. I'm just going to call my sister and, mm-hmm. and tell her, like, I'll be late. Yeah. And she talks to her sister, and we talk to her sister for, like, a minute. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a minute earlier when we see the 911 caller, mm-hmm. 911 caller, or whatever they have and where they are. I think it's 11 mm-hmm. 9. Uh, pick up the phone. Mm. And you hear the same conversation from the other end as she figures out that this woman cannot speak freely on the phone. Yeah, so try- and starts trying to figure out what's mm. going on and how to get information from her mm. without getting any information from her. It's great writing. Yeah, it's a great premise for a film because uh, you're going to be riveted and you don't need to film a lot. <laughs> you're, you're, all you essentially need is you could do that in a single static close up of one actress. Yeah, and that's all you really needed. And yeah, the the way they need to traverse this very dangerous situation with this man in the front seat who it turns out is very, very dangerous and very, very abusive and how, uh, how trying to get help without tipping him off. Yeah. And it's incredibly tense. It's Hitchcockian. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, my one issue with this film, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's an issue where we never really get a lot of backstory about, let's just call him the villain. Mm. We don't know exactly what his plan is or even much in the way of his motivation or anything. So for me, the longer the short went on, the less plausible it was that he would let her stay on the phone. Mm. So I feel like the movie, the, the, the film eventually hit a point of diminishing returns. Just because mm. I didn't quite buy that he would let her well, be on the phone and just give... Re- like, what are you talking about? This is a kidnapping or whatever. And like... What are you talking about? Like, well, I, would, it, I don't clearly, see him. She, well, I mean, she, her. she wasn't like tied up in the trunk. She was just sitting in the front seat. That's why. So. I, that's why I feel like if we knew more about what he okay. wanted, okay, then that could justify that. Does he think they're going to elope? Is he like deluded into mm. thinking that that would have justified that? He thinks, okay, well, this is supposed to be normal. This like, is. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I would, if this that would have made sense to me. That would have helped me. The title of the film is A Sister. It's not, um, you know, 
the woman who survived a kidnapping. And oh, yeah. I, it was so, clearly some kind of kidnapping, and it was a kidnapping by somebody that she knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have even just been an abusive husband, for all we know. Yeah, we never know uh, the details. His villainy is communicated just fine. I don't think we need any more of his story I, to understand that what is going on here is a, a tacit understanding between two women. Yes. As what happens when a man is trying to drive off with one of them. And that part is great, uh-huh. and I'm not denying that. I just feel like there is an element where I feel like the plot does eventually get in the way, and a teensy mm. little bit of new information would have prevented it from getting in the way. Mm. So I want the film to be basically the same, but maybe one line of dialogue that just, <laughs> okay, sort, of, like, that just sort of lets me mm. accept that he thinks everything should be okay. fine if she's talking to her sister this long. Mm. That would have really taken the edge off. Okay. You mentioned them. Um, you compare this to Everything Will Be Okay, which mm. is really one of the better shorts nominated for Best Live Action Short in the last decade. And again, it mm. lost to The Stutterer. Oh, God. Which is not even that good a film. <laughs> I barely even remember The Stutterer. Uh, I think it was The Stutterer. Um, but uh, there's actually a, 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 a couple of nominees. Uh, there's a couple of like nominees throughout the last decade mm. that are also the one-sided phone call. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. There was one called The Phone Call, which starts mm-hmm. Sally Hawkins and Jim Broadbent, where she played a suicide prevention right, hotline. Right, right. And she's talking to a guy who is in the middle of himself, and he's mm-hmm. trying. she's trying to prevent it. And she doesn't have enough information, and she's trying to mm-hmm. solve this puzzle before it's too late. And that oh. one won. That's a really, really good short and, and, film. I got no objection to that one. Well, also, it's Sally Hawk. <laughs> well, just, it's really well acted. Yeah. But And then there was another one that was, um, I think, just last year. Yeah, it was last year. It was called Mother. About uh, a woman like walking into her apartment with her mom, hmm. and then she gets a phone call from her young son who's supposed oh, to be on right. vacation with her husband, and the young son is on his own and he doesn't know where he is. Hmm. And there's a strange man walking to him, <laughs> and it's the most horrifying yeah, phone it's... call I've ever heard. Uh, it, it's a really, uh, really great first act to a larger film. I feel like it just cuts off short. That I know, one. but that, but that leaves me at just such this intense yeah, and the, peak. And they it's... run, they run out of the house. We're gonna come get you. It's like, oh, and that's the end. That's not the end, though. You, that's you, like... you need more wrinkles in no, there. But like, I, I, want, no... I want that to be a full thriller. Here's, here's my thing, though. Hmm. She leaves her mother behind. That's all her mother knows. So I'm sure somewhere down the line her mother will get more information, but Mm. that's the mother. Yeah. So that one worked for me. I think it's an interesting way to frame a short film because it's already a level of immediacy and intensity, Mm. and yet you're also given kind of permission not to reveal everything. You can Mm. be a little enigmatic. Um, It works. Mm. It's it doesn't always work because there's a tendency you could potentially get kind of lazy visually. But Mm. in this one, it's a really, 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 really good short film. I think my favorite is Saria, but they're actually all really solid. Yeah, this is a really good crop this Uh, year. Uh, the pattern uh, that uh, my wife and I used for a long time, and this this was actually uh, Angie's uh, theory. The one you hate the most is gonna win. Like, oh, like, it was true last year. Like, you're like the most mediocre, or yeah. Oh, uh, what the, was the, it? The, the tattoo skin. skin. Yeah. Oh, that's that skin was so bad. Three it's, spectacularly it's, terrible movies won Oscars last year: mm. Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, and, and Skin. Skin, skin and was Green Book was the best of the three, and it still wasn't good. <laughs> Green Book is is an aggressively mediocre movie. Just, it is right in the middle of the road. Yeah. It does not aspire to anything high. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you feel anything big. But and yet it manages to cop out on every yeah, single level. It, it, it just it's, sucks. Yeah, there's there's and, no no deep or complicated conversation this film is trying to have. Yeah. Skin is just irresponsible. Skin is it like feels the worst like, Tales from the Crypt episode I was, ever. I was going to say, this is something that w- William Gaines came up with, like at the bottom of William Gaines' pile when he's making a Tales from the Crypt comic, and he just 
is short of material that month. Yeah, and, and then when he tries, it, yeah. people tell him, no, don't do that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, look, it's all we got. Yeah, I'm amazed. Yeah. That's, but I think the reason why is because it was the one that felt the most like a complete film. I guess you're as right. As beginning, yeah. middle, and end. And, and had a recognizable star in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's why. Yeah. But yeah, it's a terrible movie. Um but yeah, really, really good crop of short uh, live action shorts mm-hmm. this year, which brings us to the lot of the animated shorts. Yay! The animated short program, just the the, the shorts that were animated, uh-huh. it's like eighty minutes. Oh, uh, you'll, oh you'll not get, even you'll, that. You'll I think most of them are like yeah. ten, and then like it's eighty minutes when you add the extra films. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, we're gonna talk about the nominees, and then we'll talk about the ones that are added to the program. Uh, I didn't get the ones that were added to the. program. You didn't get the ones added to no, the program. I just got the nominees, which is fine because oh, I showed you one of them yeah. because it was the light. A horse piste. Which one was that? The one on the on the mountain. Oh yeah, you I showed me that, that one. That was yeah, yeah. I'll talk, we'll talk. We'll talk about the other ones okay. in a minute. But let's talk about the nominees uh, again. We're going to go in alphabetical order. The first one is called Daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a stop motion animated film about a strained relationship between uh, a father and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's dying, and she's remembering events in their lives that made her feel alienated from him. Mm-hmm. It is really beautifully moody, moodily animated. Like the models yeah, that they used are just so craggy. They're, they're, yeah, they're like they're really sort of textured and um, stop motion has gotten better. A lot of the, this motion is a lot smoother. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if there's digital technology uh, that's smoothing the motion. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you can three D printing. Three D yeah, yeah. printing. You can like print. It's easier to like create more like inter. Because when you do stop well, and, motion, and, and, you, you know, the maquettes are, are stronger than they have been yeah. in the past, so you can actually pose things a lot more exactly. There's a um, lot of reasons why the stop technology motion animation uh, looks better now than it ever has. Uh, my point is, make more stop motion animated feature Please, films. A um, lot of these are. Make, make them all. Yeah. Um, Three of these are not stop motion. It, it, this one's very abstract, which I really appreciate, and it does something that I've never seen in animation before, That's and how? it is a lot of camera movement mm. to make it look like it's handheld. Yeah, it's hard to do in stop um, motion. Well, it's hard to do in any animation. But no, especially, but like in, an, in animation, <clears throat> it's possible to like... Well, especially with CGI, you can move the frame Yeah, like that's a thing you can do. Program, and like yeah. a lot of 2D animation is done via computer mm. now as well. And yeah, in stop motion, that's hard. Mm. You have to really plan that out. Yeah and, yeah, and so this sort of fades in and out of time and in and out of memory in a really sort of convincing sort of way. Uh, that uh, doesn't really give you information as it is conveying feelings. It's, mm. it's a, a story told through these sort of vague emotional moments right. that gives you all the information you need at the end of the day. It, it kind of does, uh, and it kind of doesn't. It, it, but one... it does leave, it, it left me anyway with a vague sort of feeling. I understood that they were alienated yeah. and that this tragedy had occurred. Yeah. And uh, I think what was... Not that I need a big moment or a reveal or yeah. or you know like a, a, a specific kind of Hollywood style denouement to a, a short film, but when you're this vague, it made it made me long for a moment like no that. no I agree and this is something that I think the movie is is missing because mm-hmm. I think it captures the emotion but doesn't give the viewer enough information to connect with. Mm-hmm. the the reason for the emotion the motivation mm-hmm. like we see a little bit of flashback of this little girl and she finds like a dead bird 
mm-hmm. and she tries to show it to her dad, but her dad's busy trying not to burn the house down with the cooking. Mm-hmm. And apparently, that was enough to carry with her forever. <laughs> oh, and I'm and like, that, a, I feel like we're missing a lot. There's a lot of well, and, and it turns into this kind of abstract thing where she's the bird and then he's the bird, and they they take turns sort of like drifting in and out of this sort of size, and it deals with scale. I I, I appreciate that, that doesn't read. I think it's I think, I think it's vague to a fault. I think it reads, and I appreciate that it's trying to be abstract, but like I said, vague was the word we keep using. Yeah. I, I think it... There's clearly something very evocative happening here, well, but yeah, that's all it is. I, evocative. But evocative, but I, I, again, I get the general emotion they're trying to evoke, but mm-hmm. I don't get the context. I don't really get what I'm supposed to get out of it. If the mm. point is dreary, then yeah, well done. Mm. Uh, and expertly animated to get you there. But I think the problem with this one is that the story that it is telling, the actual information that is being mm. conveyed, which, yeah, even in an house experimental way, there's something to, to, to latch on to. Mm. I didn't buy it. Okay. So this that one left mm. me feeling cold. Uh, I missed uh, the animated short Hair Love, Oh, did you? Uh, no, no, initially, because oh, this okay. is one. This is the one that was actually like in theaters. Mm. Uh, this aired in front of the Angry Birds movie two. Oh, well, yeah, yeah I guess which was so most people missed it. Would, would, um, no, that movie made a lot of money. Oh, did it? Was, okay. it, was it wasn't a hit? huge oh, okay. hit. It wasn't Frozen, but it made money. Right. So this is reasonably well received, uh, like in terms of like a lot of people saw it, mm. um, and I think it was then turned into a kids book, and it is mm. delightful. What a wonderful, sweet little film. It's it's sweet. You know you don't really care. Not not a, not a huge fan. All right, well let's it's, talk it's, about it. It's about a um a, a a young girl. She's maybe six. Young mm-hmm. girl. Um, it starts with her trying to do her own hair by following YouTube videos, and she mm-hmm. can't do it because it's really difficult. She also has gigantic difficult hair. Yeah. Um. It, she's a, she's father, a young, she's a young black girl. Yeah. Her mom is sort of not in the picture mm-hmm. right now. And she really wants to do her hair up for a special yeah. occasion. And her father has no experience doing so hair. She, yeah, she calls her father in. Her father's like kind of this macho character. He's got like tattoos and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, he's nice. And, he's not stern or nothing. Yeah. He just clearly isn't very feminine. Yeah, so he doesn't know how to do hair. Uh, the way he envisions it is he he's, he's wrestling, uh, wrestling with, with like literally in a wrestling ring with a hair monster in one amusing mm-hmm. sequence. Uh, and... This does go to something, actually, uh, Chris Rock made a documentary film about this phenomenon called Good Hair, Mm -hmm. about how uh, black women, specifically, are told that they don't have good hair because they don't have white women's hair. Yeah. And uh, that's something Chris Rock heard his daughter say. He's like, why don't I have good hair? Like, what do you mean good hair? You know, like the white women and Uh the the sort of uh, cultural gentrification of of black women's hair yeah. is is sort of this phenomenon that Chris Rock explore, explores and that this short explores as well. Yeah. Um, it's subtle, it's fun, that's all we really needed. And then we learn what happened to the mom and it was one step too far. I, I disagree. <laughs> I actually think... It was, it was unnecessary. No, I, actually, I completely disagree, actually. Yeah. I actually think the way that this one concludes mm-hmm. uh, was there's again we talk about how a lot of these shorts like go for the juggler mm. you know really try to stab you in the throat with emotions and I think this this one wanted to mm. the ending would have been infinite there's so many much so much harsher endings okay. to this story and I actually think that what this short does in addition to exploring you know a daily part of life that really doesn't get illustrated uh, in mm. fiction very often. Uh, in addition to finding uh, a, a nice little bonding moment between a daughter and a father that, again, doesn't get illustrated a lot, um, I think they find a, a, a way to make this particular story 
of a young girl's hair. Mm-hmm. Resonant without being shitty about it. Without being mm-hmm. just like, you know, fuck you emotions. Like, I, actually <laughs> think it was, I actually think because there's hope. And All it's right. sweet. And I think there's a way to do it where it's just, yeah, and everyone died. Mm. Yeah, the hair did it, or some bullshit. Like, you know, <laughs> you know. Al- it's alien hair growing off of Stacey Keach, like what? in that John Carpenter I, we've, short. We've all seen those, like, those shorts mm. in, like, the Academy Awards where it's just like. And then they die. Yeah, yeah where it's just like, they're just going for the saddest ending possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're going for a sad ending here. I think they're going for not even bittersweet, sweet bitter. Just sweet. There's, it's sweet mm. with like a little a little tinge of you know right. reality, you know. Yeah. There's 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 harshness in the world, but they're gonna get through this. And All I think right. I don't think we needed. I, I think if it had just been a story about a dad doing his girl's hair and then she goes off to school, it would have it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But I think showing how much this really means to these two people, mm. I think that added an important layer that I think makes it yeah. more than a good short and into a great short. Uh, but I, I I see where you're coming from. I well, just the, think it could have gone further. The, the the word I'm going to use is corny. I think mm-hmm. it just goes for something really kind of. P- Frankly, predictable and yeah. Uh, and yeah, God, we we've used the word schmaltzy a couple times sure. while discussing these shorts and how they steer around. This one just dives head first into it. Okay, this one's really sticky, sappy, sweet. Even even more, that it doesn't fit my definition. Uh, of sticky, sappy, sweet. Even more so than the one about the cute kitty. Okay, <laughs> screw you if you're about to say an unkind word about Kitbull. If you're about to say an unkind word about Kitbull, we're going to come to blows on this podcast um, right now. Look, the short could have been no story. Just animation of that cat, yeah, and it would have been my favorite thing. Oh my god! <laughs> the, the an, okay, so Kitbull is an animated short it's, about a little. Black... It's from and it's from Pixar, but it's mm-hmm. cell animated. Yeah, which is very nice. In fact, there are no CGI shorts this year. Uh, uh, you're right. There's three, three, yeah. three stop motion and two two uh, two traditional two D. Uh, so Kitbull is mm-hmm. about a a little black cat, and it lives in a box in an alley, mm-hmm. uh, or like behind someone's like behind a big and, building, and it looks and, like a. I've seen this this very particular design of cat before. It's got big round eyes and that big sort of number three shaped face. Mm-hmm. Um, little black kitty, and it's got really big expressive eyes. It's kind of anime inspired. It looks like Luca. <laughs> it looks like my cat Luca, and you know it looks like Luca. Well, it looks it looks and behave. The animation on the cat is so great. Okay, they the body language of the cat. They the understand how of the cats cat, move. Yeah. They understand how cats preen mm. and how cats try to puff themselves up, and the way the cat sidesteps sometimes. Mm. Impeccably animated cat. Absolutely <laughs> funny to watch. Mm. Sweet. You see it like in a box, like curling up with a fish that it stole. Like mm. it, like the way it rubs up against like the it, the, the chewed it, up kid's toy in there because it's the only thing it has for company. It's just in one little deft move, it gets you, and you know it means so much to that cat. It's so beautiful. And then the cat uh, ends up. Well, the cat um, lives in just some guy's dilapidated yard. Yeah, and like a box and like mm. a big old pile of trash. Mm. And it turns out the guy has a pit bull. Mm. That the guy is training to be a fight dog, like in dog fights. Yeah, we don't. We, we see, mercifully we yeah. don't see the fights. We don't see the fights, and in fact, the 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 pit bull is a really kind, friendly dog. It's kind of a puppy, mm-hmm. and just wants to sort of lick and and prance about and be do puppy mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and then. Uh, Horrendously, the, the dog is dragged inside. We don't see what happens. But when it comes, but when out, it comes it's, out, it's all scratched up, and it's yeah. clearly something horrible happened inside. And, and, the and we understand is, what's happening. Of course, we do because we know 
the notoriety of these dogfight areas. And it's pretty clear, even if you're kind of if you're young and maybe hazy on the concept, mm. it's pretty clear that the dog is not in a good place. Yeah. And the cat is, of course, very nervous about the dog, and they sort of look. The dog is on a chain, so they can't like mm. the, the cat knows how far away to stay, but the dog keeps like trying to play with the cat, like, like rolling things over to it, because mm. it's the only thing it has in its life that isn't trying to hurt it. And um, yeah, and I thought my, I'm watching this thing. I'm like, if any. <laughs> if anything happens if to those anything animals, fucking happens to this dog or to this cat, I'm gonna chuck my laptop out the window. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set it on fire when I find it. It's, it's, yeah. it's a cursed object at that point. Do you, you've seen Feed the Kitty, right? Which one's the Feed old the Warner Brothers short? Oh, with, it's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. With Mark Anthony and the kitten. Yeah, a big giant bulldog yeah, and like a little mm. kitten that makes its home on his back, and it's adorable. And, and, and but he can't reveal that he has the the kitten, so he keeps trying to like hide it in drawers and stuff. And the kitten's just adorable. It's and a keeps classic. Getting in trouble. And, it's a classic. It's one of the better Looney Tunes shorts. The kitten falls into the baking. It escapes, <laughs> but the cat, the dog, doesn't see that the cat escapes. So he, the dog sees all these yeah. baking things happening to the cat. It thinks the cat's being like murdered. Yeah, being mur- murdered and baked. <laughs> there's, the animation there's a great on the homage to that Monsters yeah. Incorporated when he when uh, Sully thinks Boo fell into like a conveyor belt. It was like, oh! <gasps> ah! <laughs> so great. And now we tenderize the meat. No! <laughs> it's a little the, like that. <laughs> Feed the Kitty uh, is the is like the grandfather of Kit Bull. Like, 100%. The, the, pe- the people who are watching Kit Bull probably went to Feed the Kitty over and over and over I'm again. I'm sure it was a favorite. Feed the Kitty is a classic. You really ought to look it up. It's so good. Um, I, I think it's Chuck Jones, but I, I feel it, like I it's apologize. Chuck Jones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's got that similar template where just two mm. mismatched animals find, you know, comfort mm. in one another and how could they possibly and you really care and there's humor mm. and there's sadness and... All I will say about Kipple, because I know that when it comes to animals, you know, it's something that a lot of people just they can't mm-hmm. tolerate if anything bad happens it, it, to them. It was Chuck Jones. It was Chuck Jones. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to say is Kipple mm-hmm. doesn't have a fucked up ending. <laughs> That's, I'm not going to tell you what happens. I'm not going to tell you what happens, mm-hmm. but this isn't that kind of animated short. Mm-hmm. It is a sweet short. It's sweet. It works. I cried it's, so oh, hard. I just, did. It's, it hit me. It hit me in all my feels. Right, it mean all, all the things that like you know. I love animals. I love. It, it's uh, more than know, anything. Stories is, about um, you know, loners finding each other. Yeah, and, more than anything, it's just cute. It's and so and cute. there there is something I know very kind of very basic and very primal about reacting to a cute kitten. That's true. You, but you, because you film, they, you, film a, you film a kitten, you know I'm gonna have an emotional reaction. That doesn't mean it's great art, but no, uh, but in this one case, I think, I think it is because yeah. they didn't just rely on a cute character design. They brought that thing to life. Mm. I think they did a great job. And they struggled, and and yeah, and they escape into an actual a real neighborhood. It's actually San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, and just like in Pixar shorts, they t- took a lot of time to pay attention to scenario, to location, yep. to uh, ca- character animation. Proof that writing is what Pixar has, and not necessarily just the quality of their animation. Oh, well, absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, so the next short is called Memorable, Me- Memorable, or Memorable, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, a story. This is the one that devastated me. Okay, I can see why. Yeah. Uh, it is a stop motion animated short mm-hmm. that is designed to look like uh, everyone like is a Van Gogh a, painting. Like, like yeah. everyone is a three dimensional oil painting, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a story of a painter who has neurodegenerative disease of mm. some kind, and he is starting to not only lose his memories, but starting to be unable to recognize common household objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And we start his, seeing well, it his, from his perspective he, because he's an artist out, that yeah. becomes a very haunting perspective. And, and he knows how to sort of cover for this. He's still cogent enough that he's learned how to sort of cover for his memory losses. Yeah. Like, uh, he's Same hand, face. He's, yeah. handed, he's handed a pepper shaker. He's like, ah, yes, um, this is something your mother gave us. It's just a pepper shaker. You know, it's, it's completely insignificant. Yeah. And it's about how uh, his wife is... Bearing his deterioration. Yeah. This is not the first animated short that's been nominated for an Oscar that's about mental degenerative disorders. There's quite a few, um, actually. I've had live action shorts. This is really animation. common. Um, Last year, there was one called Late Afternoon, mm. which I think did it a little better. I think it had mm. a little bit more of a sweep and mm. a beauty to it. This one's just mostly sad. <laughs> it, it's, it's incredibly sad, and yeah. I think it does a really good job, though, of... Um, capturing from the inside what that deterioration must feel like. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talked about It's Such a Beautiful Day on the podcast recently about uh, this person who has this sort of mental degenerative disorder and how he's sort of describing the world to himself Mm -hmm. rather than having it diagnosed to him uh, from the outside. And I think this is a painter who sees the world through art and how these vague images just start leaking into his memories of the real world, how people turn into paintings, how people turn into paint, and how the paint eventually just sort of dissipates. And I think it's a really gorgeously animated film, and I, it's unbelievably sad. And uh, it, it has this weird dreamlike quality that feels like a genuine subconscious. And I admire filmmakers that can get into that sort of psychological realm of utter realism. We screwed something up. Did we? Yeah. Uh, we called the mm. short Everything Will Be Okay. Mm. It's a similar short. It's oh, no. the same short. Right. So I apologize. Everything oh, Will Be no. Okay is a story about a child who's been kidnapped and they don't know they've been kidnapped. It was also mm. a good short, but it's not oh, the right. one we're thinking about. The w- oh, darn. <laughs> no, no, I get. I, I totally see how right. I screwed that one up, and I apologize, and I'm mm. glad I caught it before too late. You, you, you can stop texting me or sending mm. me a Twitter uh, a tweet the one we're talking about is just before losing everything <laughs> okay which an- also another, has a long another, title another long conversation. you can title. see how okay. I screwed this one up but yeah that's what it was just before losing okay, everything so... is uncanny and it lost to a short called Helium mm. which was okay mm. um <laughs> that's all I just wanted to... just before losing everything yeah I, I remember everything about the short, but the title. I know um, because I get it. And then yeah. I was I was trying to look up. I'm glad I, I'm glad I was checking. There was another uh, Oscar animated live action uh, uh, live action short mm. that was nominated for an Oscar that was about uh, a man uh, from from his perspective as he was losing his memories mm. uh, through Alzheimer's. And I think it was a film called Henry, although I could be wrong and not mm. nervous to, <laughs> to, 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 to even to even, to even suggest it. Yeah. So my apologies. Well. Yeah, Regar- definitely, definitely regardless, see just definitely see everything. just before losing yes, everything because just before losing everything is is a devastating, yeah. emotional, wonderful film, as is uh, memorable. Um, yeah. uh, because uh, because not only does it play into sort of the way he sees the world and his psychological realism, but he is a painter, and what is a painting but a piece of art that stands posterity. Yeah. It's a phys- it's a physical plastic object you can leave behind. Yeah. that captures your mind. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I listen. It's a very, very excellent short. Mm. The only thing holding it back, and it's not the short's fault, is I had I had my holy shit moment for this short mm. when I saw it last year. And it's called Late Afternoon. Okay, and it was a di- it was different animation style. Mm. It was different characters, slightly different takeaway, but it was a very similar in its construct. Mm. And 
if I had seen this one first, I think this one would have devastated me, and the other one would have been like, this is very good. Mm. But I saw them the other way around. And Late Afternoon killed me, and Mm. I remembered it very distinctly. It had a very profound impact on me, so... It's That's like, here, here we are doing it again, uh, and then lastly, uh, there is a short called Sister, which so is we had also a brother, daughter. sister, and daughter. Yeah, <laughs> and also there was Brotherhood, uh, and there was all they're all they're all a, family names. A sister, yeah. yeah. Um, so Sister uh, is the story of uh, there's a Chinese man, and he wants to tell you about his little sister. Mm. And he talks about growing up with his little sister and how... She was an annoying little baby. She was an annoying little baby and she always cried and it felt like she took up the whole room. And at that point, the model of the sister, and they're all made out of like felt. Like it's they're, very, they're made of cotton. Yeah, balls of cotton. Very soft. Like mm. it's, a, it's an interesting look. Um, and I think it really... I think it illustrates just how delicate the story is, mm. which I think is a, a good factor. Um yeah, and how she like she took up so much space, and then she's literally filling the room. She's gigantic. Mm-hmm. Or uh, how they did funny things, like when he lost his tooth, she said we should put it in a flower pot so we'll grow more teeth. That oh, kind tooth of thing. Tree, yeah. Things and kids do. Together. And he's talking about anecdotes about the sister. And again, we don't want to tell you how this one ends, but if you know anything about Chinese mm-hmm. politics within the last mm-hmm. decades, that's the thirty years or so, yeah. you. Might see where this one's going, and again, again, if you know about it going mm. in, you probably say to yourself, "This doesn't seem right." Mm. And indeed, the movie knows, and um, it's a little devastating, isn't it? It's very sad. It's it's it is sad. I saw what was going on yeah. from frame one. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Is I feel like, uh, but here's my concern with this one. I think this is where the movie I think falls apart a little bit. It never gives you a lot of context within the film. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a title card at the end, but even that, if you're like just a regular audience member who doesn't know a lot about other countries, which let's be honest, here's a lot of people, mm-hmm. you might see this movie as being sort of a screed against something else, which concerns me. Uh, I, I see what you're going. You see where at, I'm going yeah, I just feel like um... I feel like we needed a title card that laid it out. Mm-hmm. A little more clearly, well, also, just for the people in the back who don't know what's going on. Also, this is very specifically about sort of the, the you know, a, a certain kind of longing feeling that has to do with siblings. And yeah, the parents if, would have a very different yeah, approach the, the, to the this parents, story. Well, the parents are going to have a different approach, but if you're an only child, you, it won't matter to you. <laughs> I think yeah, uh, it, it, does, it doesn't really go out of its way to uh, push the political point it seems to be going for that's my that's my only critique yeah. i think it's actually beautifully animated i love the idea mm. behind it in a lot of ways but i think this is one where just like a uh, daughter mm. i think we need a little bit more information for this to completely come together okay and i realize that makes it sound like it always frustrates me when people are like you should add more clarity i'm like well, i don't know you figured it out <laughs> but in this case there's so much on the line yeah, you know, I really do feel like this one needed just a little bit more information, just to be one hundred percent clear in its intentions to people who don't necessarily know the backstory because they never really lay out the backstory. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a Chinese film, so they're they're clearly making it for a Chinese audience, and the Chinese audience would know. Well, I would hope you're, so, you're just... but but the other people are seeing it, yeah. aren't they? Maybe like this well, is why well, now now well, it's a claim is... that's being distributed around but, the world. Well, and again, it would have to play at film festivals around the world, and mm-hmm. I think you know, you know, there's like in in various um, films that get released. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in different cultures than where they were originally made. Sometimes there are elements that don't quite translate or stuff that needs a little bit more context. And at that point, you add another title card. Mm. 
at that point you you add a little you know bit to the beginning of the movie just to get everyone on the same page i don't think mm. that's hurting the film i don't think it's hurting the integrity of the film i think that's getting everyone in the audience on the same page as who you thought would be watching it okay so that's okay so what's what's your favorite of these five um, probably memorable. Um, yeah. I just lo- love the style of it. I just love. I love how sad it was. Um, but man, that cat. <laughs> Kipple Kip destroyed me. Kipple is probably like. I don't think it destroyed me. It just no, cuted me out. No, it, yeah. it destroyed me. I was yeah. so emotionally connected to this film on so many levels. I loved Kipple a lot. But I actually think Hair Love is getting at something. I think really significant, mm. and I think it's maybe a little bit more award worthy. I, I, well, I think it's the most mainstream. It's the one well, most people true. have seen. I think it's the one that's definitely going to but win I do the think, Oscar. But I do think it's valuable, though. I do think it's, oh, yeah, it's a significant film, and I think it's very well crafted. Um, I'm not I just completely pooing it. I just no, think it's a corny flick. I think it, that's <laughs> fair. I just don't. I think. I remember getting to the ending and seeing how corny it could have been and being mm. relieved that they only took it as far as they <laughs> Okay. Um, but uh, we're not going to go to... Oh, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on the other animated shorts, but I do want to give you a quick primer on them. Okay. Because there's some really good stuff. In particular, there is... Because these are not... Like, Kipple has comedy, Hair Love has comedy, but these are actually pretty serious shorts mm. about real emotions, about real things. One of the shorts that's on the program that wasn't nominated, and I think should have been, <laughs> is pure comedy. It's called Horsepiste. It, it feels like an old, old-timey old silent comedy. Oh, 100%. Mm. Um, let, me, let me see if I can figure out what Horse Beast stands for. I feel like I know. Mm. Um, Horse Beast. What does it mean? Or Beast. Or Beast. I like saying uh, yeah, it that way just because it sounds hor- funny. Hor- hor- horse Beast. Um well, anyway, mm. uh, it's about two. It's about two mountain rescuers. Mm. Not like, not unlike the movie Cliffhanger, and the movie and the the little short opens mm. with like this cool eighties like oh. music sequence. Or, or piste skiing, off piste, like off off road skiing. Okay, free skiing. Yeah. So like it's like a rescue show. Like mm. you're watching an '80s rescue show about people who rescue people off a mountain, mm. and uh, they land a helicopter on top of a mountain. And there's a guy who is skiing who has been seriously injured, mm. and they tie him up and they put him on a gurney, and they're just about to put him on the helicopter when the helicopter falls off the mountain and explodes. <laughs> so now they have to get down the mountain, and the only tool they have to get down the mountain is the guy is the on man the gurney. They're rescuing, yeah. <laughs> so they have to use him as a bridge, and it's just and so sk- skate on him. It's yeah, yeah. so unbelievably funny to see these like two ultra cool Miami Vice type hero mm, guys just be total yeah. assholes to the guy that they're trying to save. It's just relentless jokes mm. and they all land. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarity. <laughs> it's not if you get a chance to see this movie, please see this movie. It's so damn funny. Mm. I wish I wish I wish it had been nominated. I think at least a couple of shorts I would have traded it for. Um let's see what else. Uh, there's a little short called Maestro. This is only like two minutes long, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a little, uh, it's photorealistic CG animation mm-hmm. at night in a forest, and a, a little bird lands on a twig in front of the camera and proceeds to belt out an opera tune, and <laughs> a squirrel shows up and it starts conducting an orchestra made entirely of animals. So it's kind of like silly symphonies, yeah, I was about but, to say, but with realistic animals. All right. It's a, it's a little short. There's not there's, right. no, there's nothing to it. It's an expertly done bit of animation. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. Gets in, 
gets out. I can see why it wasn't animated. It's, it wasn't nominated. It's a little insubstantial, but it's very good. Uh, let's see what we got here. There is a short called The Bird and the Whale, which is really beautifully animated. Mm-hmm. It's uh, painted onto glass, so it's got this really fantastic quality. Uh, and uh, it is a story about a very young whale who loses his way in the middle of his pod. He's all alone in the ocean. And he encounters a bird in a cage uh, that is floating on a piece of wood after a shipwreck. And they find each other, and Mm. they're very sweet together. And unlike Kitbull, I'm going to warn you right now, this one does not end well. (laughs) This one ends in a way that actually pissed me off. Mm. This is the one where I actually watched... It's like a cheap cheap shot kind of thing. I think it's cheap shot, and I think the ultimate takeaway we're supposed to get from it is not very well developed. Mm. I know it's it's it looks and seems like it's actually very deep and meaningful and sweet, but when you actually start to consider the events that transpired, you realize mm. that we did not earn this ending, uh-huh. and it's a shame because the animation is glorious. Mm. So, bit of a bit of a shame there. And then the last one that is on the um, that is on the docket is actually the longest short. It's a stop motion animated short called Henrietta Bolkowski. Okay. It's actually the one that has like a Hollywood mm. cast, like Ann Dowd does the narration, Christina Hendricks and Chris Cooper do the voices, mm. uh, and Henrietta is a woman who has um, a large growth on her upper spine mm. that has very tragically uh, forced her to, she can't look upward, okay. she can only look down, and in order to see her way around the world, she has to carry a mirror with her. Mm. But her dream, and what she really wants to do, is be a pilot, and she's told by her doctor that he cannot sign off on that medically because it isn't mm. safe. So she decides when she sees a story of a plane that crashed in a landfill, she's going to fix up that plane. Okay. Later on in the story, she's fixing up the plane. The landfill is going to be like filled in and paved over, and she has to move, and a cop is trying to get her off the land. He's played by Chris Cooper, and they have a moment where they find each other, and mm. it ends... The most schmaltzy way you could possibly imagine. Like, the, the ending, you say to yourself, they wouldn't. Mm. They do that. And it does not work. And it ends up kind of not having a great message about mm. uh, people with different you know levels of ability. And it's a shame because it's nicely animated. It's well acted. But, again, like the other one, it just the, the story needed developing because it just doesn't end well mm. at all. At well, all. I'm glad I missed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a that one's a bit of a tragedy, but Orpiched is definitely something you definitely want to check out from the other list. All right, so that is it. Mm. Those are our nominees. Uh, we will talk about them in greater length later this week because Whitney and I are going to do an Oscars preview. Indeed. Yeah, we're going to talk about who we think will win, who we think should win. Um, we're, we're basic whinging about the Academy Awards. Basically, yeah. but we'll go through every category. We'll help you, uh, you know think we'll help you through each category in case there are films in each category you're unfamiliar with we'll talk to you about all of them I've seen yeah, every yeah. i've seen every nominee this year that doesn't i usually am missing at least one <laughs> every single film nominee mm. for academy award i've seen this year that's actually pretty uh, cool there's there's like t- like some of the foreign language films mm. and the documentary features i'm behind on yeah now i've seen all the shorts um and richard jewell like those, oh, are, those, richard are, those jewell. are the ones i'm behind oh, on. Yeah. um well, again, so we'll be able to, because, uh, you know, there's, y- you know how it is when you don't see a lot of movies and then you go to an Oscar party and you look at, like, the ballot where they want you to yeah, fill you out. And you're like, poking I, don't, things I don't know the difference between some of these movies. I don't mm. know what's a, what deserves well, to be Well, especially in the shorts. They're, they're all just yeah. named after relatives at this point. Yeah, most people 
don't watch them, and so they don't know what to talk. Well, hopefully, this episode will help you out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to give you a primer on the Oscars. We'll talk a bit about the history of the Oscars. We'll talk a bit about films nominated, why we think they should win, why we think they shouldn't win. Whitney will, of course, abstain mm-hmm. from any conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for Can't. reasons we've discussed. Can't talk about it. But there's still plenty to talk about. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to it. Uh, I have issues with the Oscars, but I grew up watching the Oscars, and I'm not going to start watching. Uh, I'm not going to stop watching them now. <laughs> uh, uh, real, real fast. We're, we're like, trapped. We're trapped. On the critically acclaimed scale of C minus to C plus, where C plus is better than average, C plus is average, and C minus is below average, we're not mm-hmm. going to go through every single one of the animated shorts. I think it's fair to say the whole program is a C plus. Well, I, I every year I encourage people to yeah. see these if they can. If you're not in one of the cities where they play, you can go to Shorts TV. Um, very shortly, they'll be released on uh, iTunes yeah. or, or whatever the new equivalent is. So you can get them individually. Uh, so you can actually buy them individually, and they're definitely worth a look. Uh, the short film uh, format is one that is only celebrated marginally throughout the year. I wish more films came with them. Mm-hmm. And, like film uh, festivals uh, celebrated a lot, mm. but in the typical you know, mainstream marketplace, they're hardly in yeah. there. Uh, before, uh, you and I actually, I think, and I think this is still a good idea, even though it's been sort of subverted by TV and Netflix, but before Netflix started taking characters like Iron Fist and Daredevil and giving them their own shows, yeah. um, we had suggested doing an actual serialized narrative with a less popular Marvel character yeah. and putting them before their big Avengers series uh, that doesn't tie into the main story. It's its own thing. Yeah. So I think it's a fun idea. And it's a great way to make more short films and get serials back in theaters in a way where large audiences would likely see them. Eh, someday. I don't like that they're not readily available except around this time, and now that they are, you may as well. Yeah. Uh, because why not? Because this is a wonderful way to understand filmmaking in a, a much deeper, more expansive way. Oh my god, I got really, really windy outside, and mm. Luca just woke up and stared out the window. <laughs> He's all fascinated with the world. Anyway, on C minus to C plus, the two mm. features that came out this year, I'm the only mm. one who saw them. Uh, the rhythm section is a huge old C minus. Uh, mm. When a time comes to talk about the worst movies of the year, I suspect I will be talking about this film. <laughs> Keep it on a list. It's gonna. It's if I, I say this mm. every year when bad things come out in the first half, but mm. if this isn't one of the worst movies of the year, we're in a lot of trouble. We've also already had Doolittle, so we're this is, this has been <laughs> bad so far. Uh, yeah, rough January. <clears throat> although I think this one's technically mm-hmm. February. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then also uh, Gretlin Hansel. It's a C plus. Okay, it's not an unmitigated C plus. Mm-hmm. I, I understand why some people aren't connecting to it, but I do think this is a beautifully crafted, very creepy take on mm-hmm. a very familiar tale, and uh, I hope it finds an audience because I think it deserves one. It's a very interesting, uh, stylish. Mm-hmm. Horror fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next time on critically acclaimed, uh, well, first off, we're going to have that Oscar special before the mm-hmm. Oscars, uh, but uh, after that, we're going to have uh, sort of an Oscars fallout. We'll talk about uh, mm-hmm. what occurred, and then we'll also be reviewing the new releases, Birds of Prey and The Lodge, and possibly others mm-hmm. as well. Uh, stick around here on the critically acclaimed network because, in addition to having uh, our usual programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have other cool stuff coming as well. <clears throat> Again, we have our new Star Wars podcast uh, in the works. And uh, now that things have calmed down a little bit for me, we can really get going on that in earnest. It's going to be called yeah. Episode Zero. And we're going to be talking about the films that inspired Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Not so much Star Wars itself specifically. Uh, we also have another episode coming of The Iron List, our monthly podcast, where Whitney and I present our picks for the top ten 
something or other. Selected by you, our listeners. Well, selected by our Patreon subscribers, specifically. No, so if you're going to head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, in addition to getting a ton of bonus content, you'll also be able to vote for future episodes of Cancel Too Soon and The Iron List, as well as other things. We just posted for our top tier uh, patrons a br- uh, brand new, completely original commentary track from Whitney and myself about the Wachowskis' completely misunderstood and sci-fi de- spectacular. Definitely underappreciated. Uh, Jupiter Ascending. Uh, so you can sync that up and watch along with us as we explain why we think you're probably... Mm-hmm. If you think the movie sucks, we think you're wrong. Well, um, we're also, we criticize the film fairly. Oh, I think, I think so. Yeah. And I think that's something, like, we, we did a bunch of commentary tracks for um, uh, Shout Factory. We did... Um, well, a bunch. We did two. We did two. Let me have this. Okay. <laughs> we did two commentary tracks for the Shout Factory. One for Brewster's Millions, and we did one for Very Bad Things. And those have been out now for a little bit, and you can get them, like, online mm-hmm. if you want. And I was looking uh, over some of the reviews of the discs, just as curiosity. So oh, if anyone, so somebody had me- see, even yeah, mentioned our yeah, see, yeah, see if they liked it or didn't like it, something to improve on. And a lot of people really appreciated that in our conversation about very bad things, mm. we talked about why some people hate it. And yeah, we had like yeah, a serious yeah. conversation about whether or not it's even a good film. <laughs> like, they thought that was actually like useful mm-hmm. to have. Like, how are we supposed to like disseminate this? Mm-hmm. And I think we talk about that in Jupiter Ascending as well. I fully admit that Jupiter Ascending has significant problems but I think the good outweighs the bad and we have that conversation on the commentary track so uh, again that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network if you want to email us letters at critically acclaimed.net we read your letters every week on our show we've got mail uh, and also we're on twitter at critic acclaim I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney thank you very much for listening and never forget everyone's a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what <laughs>